I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick and James Hunt. discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I am so excited, you guys. Uh, But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb and James to explain a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And this week, I'm not convinced that you're going to understand either. We'll find (laughs) out. Um, it's not the Inhumans, guys, is it? It's not the Inhumans, Seb, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know this character could be an Inhuman, uh, I don't know yet. Um, there is a Marvel character who I came across called White Fox. What's that? Uh, wow, I think you gen- genuinely have stumped me at least. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm on Google right now, I've literally never heard of this character. Uh, oh, because it's a superhero introduced in a Korean webtoon who made her way into the Marvel Universe, like, in 2014, 15? Should we we try and talk this through? Because I I want (laughs) to talk about my exposure to this character and then wonder whether... Because I'm interested what this means for Marvel because I, I I I didn't know that this was a thing because white fox is a character that i came across playing the iphone app marvel sumsum um sumsums are these little (laughs) are these little (laughs) these little like disney characters that are like fluffy little balls which i think uh, originally came from japan and now now very popular in this country um my wife is my wife is a big um (laughs) disney fan and we have lots of these little sumsums and then they released Marvel ones as well, so I got lots of the little Marvel sumsums, and then they released a Marvel sumsum app, and White Fox was a character on it, and I got this character White Fox, and I was like, I've genuinely never heard of this character, and then uh, I googled her, and it said that she was from the webtoon, the South Korean webtoon, Avengers Electric Rain, 
Mm. And it, okay, so I found how and where she made her way into the Marvel universe, and uh, it's in Contest of Champions, which is um, a that comic that's well, it's written by Al Ewing, who's a very good writer. Um, but I haven't read Contest of Champions because um, it's based on a video game. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the game, Joe, but Contest of I Champions have, yeah. is basically Marvel's equivalent of Injustice Gods Among Us, I think. And like that, they've done a comic spinning out of it but i've no idea if it's even actually in continuity or i mean according to the marvel wikia like it is earth 616 um because that that version of the character is like her her, so she has an earth 616 page um but yeah i i don't know if she's appeared in any other comics aside from that i'm pretty sure contest of champions was a secret wars miniseries Oh right! But no, it got, I thought it was a. I thought it was. It got a full. I think it got a full comic launched afterwards, and I I, yeah. I believe because I've heard um, former podcast Al Kennedy talking about it as like a comic that is far better than it has any right to be given where it comes from. Probably because it's by. <laughs> well, that's because the original <laughs> the original contest of champions was like a very bad crossover, where. I think it may even have been one where people could vote on who won. It was just a kind of fight comic. Right Back in the day. So, but to go to go back to White Fox in this comic, oh, this 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 cartoon, the South Korean cartoon Avengers Electric Rain. Is there a lot of that kind of stuff of just like Marvel and DC and superhero properties that have been made in other territories that we we just never get exposed to? There's there's not a lot of it. It's not unheard of. Like Marvel UK had a whole library of characters um, Mm. and books and stuff that were produced in the UK for the UK market and didn't necessarily feed back into the American stuff. Uh, And most of those did end up coming over eventually, I think. Well, yeah, when particularly when Marvel UK folded, like the characters, Marvel still owned them, so they turn up occasionally. And there was that Japanese Spider-Man show, wasn't there? Yeah, oh, the and there, TV was, show, yeah. there was the Indian, Indian Spider-Man. Spider-Man was the one I was thinking of, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it, it That happens. was a licence thing, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it happens. It's not incredibly common, but it happens. But for this for this character to be showing up in, like, a game that I'm playing, um, and, and then, you know, I googled and said that, the, you know, she had been brought into mainstream Marvel continuity in the comics... It it seems to me like a a great opportunity to expand out um, expand out this kind of superhero world. That if you had characters being created in different territories um, who were kind of native to those territories as well, that hey, this is a character where you could cast a South Korean actress and <laughs> put it put her in a movie, and there's no kind of like fanboy outrage because it is an original character it's you know it's uh it's a marvel character it's there's there's no kind of like rewriting the character or anything like that you just you just put them in there yeah i mean there are two arguments against what you're saying and one is that it's been done in the past and never really sells and the other is that economically speaking it just doesn't make sense to to like run a division of Marvel out of another country when your core business is all in like Britain and Canada and America. No, but what I mean is if if these characters, I, I don't know if there are other characters like White Fox who have been created in different territories. That if you know U.S. Marvel Comics, which it sounds like is the case, decide to use this character, however sparingly or sporadically. 
um, that you know that's that's a way to bring in more diversity into mainstream Marvel. And this sure, character I looks mean, quite cool. Yeah, but I guess the argument is why why do you have to have Koreans create a Korean character when you can do it in the US for no you know no extra cost. <laughs> Well, like they, you know, they do. You don't international... have to, but if it's happening, if it's happening anyway, and then you get uh, maybe a little bit more authenticity, you know, that character being created. I don't know. I saw Moana this week, which had, you know, like a Polynesian council of uh, people who they were like consulting on making that movie, so that everything about Polynesian culture and the characters and the myths and the legends that they represented was accurate to that culture. Um, so it's not only a way of getting, I don't know, like. Um, a a South Korean character into Marvel comics and movies, but potentially also South Korean voices behind the scenes. And you know, it, you know when they're when they're whitewashing something like the culture in Iron Fist, that hey, wouldn't this be cool? If we had sure. a character who was cre- created by South Korean. I don't know, and I'm just thinking it could extend beyond this. And I don't know whether there are. There are other shows in other territories that I've just never heard of that Marvel are making that maybe they have some cool, I don't know, like African superheroes or South American superheroes or... Yeah, well, like I say, like, they, you know, they've created their own African superheroes already. It doesn't necessarily need to happen in those territories and I can't see that there's a business case for them to do it that way either. I mean, I, th- I still think it's probably more... I mean, just, yeah, as James said, kind of more about, the, you know, the economics of sort of editorial offices or production office. And I think probably the point about there being characters in South Korea specifically is that South Korea has an industry with its own cartoons. So it's natural mm. that they would license Marvel characters. What you're not really likely to get now are the comics companies setting up offices in these countries and producing their own comics in their own language because mm. there's you know uh, there's little enough economic sense in them publishing in america quite frankly <laughs> based on on sales but i mean a good example of of the kind of character that you're talking about would probably be new superman in rebirth at the moment um yeah. who is um a chinese character like the stories are set in shanghai he's a chinese version of superman um, and there's also a Chinese Batman and Wonder Woman, and it's actually kind of like a comedy book. It's quite like the Giffen and Dematis Justice League, um, but it's written by um, Gene Lewin Yang, who's a Chinese American writer. Um, right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I, the, the artist isn't Chinese, but the point is, is that you know, in order to create a character, I mean, I don't know if they're trying to appeal to the Chinese market or if they're trying to appeal to the Chinese American market, but. Um, either way, the point is to create a character and you know have some authenticity to the character and the setting and the politics and stuff. You know they have sought to actually um, get a creator with a vaguely similar background, which you know it doesn't happen enough in comics, and it and it should happen more. Um, you know the majority of the stories should be told by people. You know, and um, you know, not even just in terms of different um, nationalities and races, but also like of genders and stuff like that, um, should be told by those people. Equally, I think it is, I think it is important to, I think, um, I think I read might have been Kieran saying this recently that you know, it's there. There is an element of, um, it's good to understand other cultures, and one way to understand other cultures is to is to immerse yourself in them and write about them. But the problem that comics have got is that like everything's done by white mostly american or british guys so um yeah. that is something that that 
could and should change. So it, well, I mean, creating characters uh, like that is a good way to do it, but the economics of it mean that they're unlikely, despite having the internet so you know people can do stuff remotely these days, the economics of it and the editorial offices all being based there means that the majority of them are likely to be based in America who are going mm. to be creating things for Marvel and DC. And White Fox... I don't know. She's in the uh, she's in the Sum Sum game. You guys, maybe they've got plans. Maybe they've got plans. We'll see her in Avengers: Infinity War, and it will be great. Can I just point out, by the way, that I I I'd never heard of these Sum Sum things until being confronted by a wall of them in your flats. <laughs> yeah, we we have li- literally wall. hundreds. Laura bought a special cabinet to hold them all in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, because if you haven't realised yet, listeners, um, I never grew up. Uh, <laughs> we are three grand men sitting down discussing uh, comic book movies on a fortnightly basis. We, you know, <laughs> it, it it fit the bill. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll move on now to the comic book movie news. Um, and the big one, um, I've mentioned this briefly on the minisode, or will be mentioning this briefly on the minisode, whichever way that works. Um, we got the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer, the first proper look at that movie, uh, which is obviously out next July. Um, wh- what did you guys think? Yeah, um, just, it was a good, it was a Spider-Man trailer. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you threw the word good in there. I'm not sure it was a good Spider-Man trailer. It was a Spider-Man trailer. Um, it, I, I think what I said on Twitter was that I felt fortunate that I didn't need to be in any way sold on this movie. Um, and, you know, Civil War was a much better trailer for this movie than the trailer for yeah. this movie. It's just not a very good... It's got moments. I mean, there are two, aren't there? Because there's the US one and the international one. Um, the US one has more in the way of fun moments in it. The international one takes out almost all of the fun moments and just looks so generic. Well, because I saw I someone tweet with like is... international with this kind of means remove American high school stuff because I don't know because international <laughs> audiences don't relate to that as much as if we haven't been force fed a you know just a factory line of American high school pop culture for mm. the past thirty years. Like this film is very know, clearly I mean, referencing Breakfast Club, and that yeah. you know that's that's a movie that I think anyone our age um, in this country probably knows quite well. And I and I think that the problem with these trailers is that they don't. Well, there's there's two things that they lack. One is that they they lack really uh, a major sort of whoa moment that's really where you're going to remember the trailer specifically. Um, you know, and if I think of trailers, obviously, you know, the obvious watermark is something like Guardians, but even some of the stuff in the Guardians 2 trailer, um, the Logan trailer that we got, you know, these were trailers that did a good job, I think, of highlighting something interesting about the film and making it jump out. The other thing is, nothing about this trailer, if I think of it in terms of a casual movie-going audience who are going to see this trailer in either online or more likely in the cinema who are maybe feeling like they're maybe a bit weary of yet another superhero movie. I don't know what in this trailer makes this Spider-Man film look different from a standard superhero they're, film. But they're the not, only thing they're they're not marketing does. to people who are weary, are they? They're not marketing in any way to people who are weary. This this trailer well, is no, essentially... Well, yeah, but they, but they this, should. No, the, this, you this don't trailer need to sell is a Spider-Man movie people. to Spider-Man fans. Spider-Man, <laughs> Spider-Man has, has got its core fan base already and it has got um, it has now got 
what, what Sony want is for Spider-Man to increase its audience beyond what it was getting for its uh, for the Amazing Spider-Man movies because every Spider-Man yeah, so movie they need to in appeal to people who are fed up of it. No, so what the, no, what no, they're, they're appealing just, they're like, to they is put the Marvel logo. Are, yeah, they're appealing like, to they, people who they go put the and Marvel watch. logo on it. Like that's it. It's, well, done, it's not Marvel. Done. It's not the Marvel logo. It's Iron Man. They want Iron Man numbers for their Spider-Man film, or they want the combined audience of Iron Man and Spider-Man to come together. And that's all this trailer is. There's no way that Tony Stark has the percentage of Spider. You know, the percentage that he gets in this trailer <laughs> of focus that he gets that percentage yeah. of the movie. He's going to get <laughs> three or four scenes, and basically that big iconic moment that you're talking about, Seb. Is Spider-Man swinging through the streets with Iron Man flying next to him? That's that's the one that I saw loads of people gifting and going, "Oh my god, cannot wait!" And I think it's—I mean, I, I didn't think it was too dissimilar to the Guardians trailer. And I think if the if we hadn't seen Captain America: Civil War and seen um, this version of Spider-Man already, I think we'd be just as excited about this as we are as we were of thinking that the Logan trailer was great. Because it's showing us something new. I mean, the, the Guardians trailer basically was Baby I mean, Groot. From... It was Baby Groot, and that was it. It was fine. And this tra- this trailer's fine just... as well. All trailers are fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only thing I'll say felt... is, like, a bad trailer never sank a good movie. So, do we care? It doesn't get us massively excited. Like, yeah, no, it's fine. Well. It's okay. I care a bit because I'd, I'd built up the appearance of that trailer and was quite disappointed by it. And as I say, I thought the international trailer stinks because they've taken out the one thing that I think is interesting and that does set it apart, which is the high school stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the, this movie, we assume, is going to focus on that high school stuff quite a bit more than any previous, um, not only any previous Spider-Man movie, but pretty much any previous superhero movie. That's the angle. And I thought the high school stuff and the stuff with the character that I had to look up afterwards um, because he is basically ganky from he um, is ganky, isn't Miles he? Morales' Ultimate Spider-Man, <laughs> um, but but he's Ned Leeds. They've given him yeah. the name of Ned Leeds. Who is, yeah. <laughs> that is just weird. Uh, anyway, but like that stuff, and you know the brief appearance we got of Zendaya's character, who I Looks still, despite me saying that she's not, I think she's going to be Mary Jane, but without she's she's basically going to be Ultimate Mary Jane with elements of Ultimate Gwen Stacy in there. Actually, like she, you... she's going to be the friend who's not initially the love interest. Are they going to make Spider-Man movies at any point, do you think, that are like Spider-Man and not like Ultimate Spider-Man? Because <laughs> I remember um, we, when we did our Spider-Man episode, you were like, quite a lot of this seems like it was it was like Ultimate Spider-Man inspired. Early Peter but, Parker, um, Ultimate the, Spider-Man. Yeah, the problem is like... that Ultimate Spider-Man did its job because, you know, I mean, well, sorry, James, I, I don't assume what you... Sorry, say what you were going to say because I think what you were going to say is probably what I would say about Well, I was, I was just going to say, like, the <laughs> the whole point of Ultimate Spider-Man was to sort of update the stories using the classic setting that had sort of long since passed. So any time, like, if you were to reimagine from the source material, you're still going to end up with something that looks like Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm. And, yeah, it's like, you know, like, regular continuity Spider-Man hasn't been in that setting since, like, about 1964, Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when he went to college, but you know it wasn't in high school for that long in the original stories. Um, so, but there are a lot of people who think that keeping Spider-Man in a high school setting is something that you can do to set him apart and make him interesting. So, hence Ultimate, which is you know 15 years worth of Peter Parker stories um, mm. that you know take place over 
probably about three years of his life. And likewise, um, if you're if you're doing Peter Parker in high school, he's not going to be mid damn high's professional warflower because that's yeah. not an archetype <laughs> that really exists anymore. So. Mm. I mean, um, the alternative is to do Spider-Man stories where he's the age that Peter Parker is in the current comics and has the life situation that Peter Parker has in the current comics. But um, I think there's a feeling Iron that while there's nothing wrong with a lot of those comics, that as as a new concept to bring to a film, that's inherently less interesting than the kid, you know, coming to terms with the powers and, also, and the loss like, of his uncle and everything. We've spoken before, but the Marvel Universe, the cinematic universe, has that kind of age range well covered exactly yes yeah like if the thing that sets spider-man apart from the other characters is that you can do the kid version and have him be sort of mentored by the other superheroes and have him more fallible that's sort and of it thing. seems like what they're doing in current marvel comics continuity is almost making peter parker into the tony stark figure um and moving tony stark yeah. off to the side um which you definitely wouldn't want to do in these movies. We've got we've got enough after <laughs> Doctor Strange. We've definitely got enough Tony Stark figures. Um, <laughs> um, I, w- I, w- I will say about this trailer that while as I say, I mean, I, from a marketing point of view, I don't think it's a very well put together trailer. Um, it doesn't mean I think the movie's going to be bad, and I do think that. I mean, I like the glimpse we get of Michael Keaton, um, and I do think that Tom Holland, like you know, every single bit of footage that I've seen of Tom Holland yeah. as Spider Man and Peter Parker, uh, I have no quibbles with whatsoever yes. i really think he's going to be great throughout this film and i liked i liked the movement in again this is something i think it's probably very important for spider-man i liked the the movement of spider-man in that um in the scene where he's taking down the guys in the avengers masks and it mm. that for me originally immediately sold me on okay this is a spider-man whose banter i'm gonna find kind of playful and like fun rather than the banter of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man which I felt felt like he was a bully and a bit a of a douche <laughs> yeah um, and I like yeah I liked the way he was dodging the punches and I liked the way he he like lightly touched down on the ground I like that they have f- finally fulfilled your prediction Seb of putting the, w- the webbing on the costume um, <laughs> and the costume still looks great and it sounds like we're going to get different upgrades and also I like um, there's a shot of him back in in his kind of like original crappy costume um, and I think looking at this is just predictions about the film that they've got the tinkerer in there and the shocker who are going to be related you know working with Vulture that probably I think Spider-Man is going to be by the end of the film having to shed himself of all the tech and shed himself of all of the stuff that he's got from Tony Stark and strike out on his own and go back to basics, um, which is uh, sounds like a, a, a fun concept for the superhero stuff. Um, my one my my major qualm about this trailer was Vulture's costumes terrible. It's real bad, you guys. <laughs> was it was. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad, but I, you know, I mean, the original is. Terrible, <laughs> I was going to so. say, like, the further they get from the original, the better it can be, as far as I'm concerned. Like in general, I mean, while he was a, you know, a master of the form in many ways, I don't think Steve Ditko was very great at designing villains. <laughs> like, I'm not sure how many of the, other than like the basics of something like Doctor Octopus, um, I, a lot of his designs from that era don't stand up brilliantly, even though they're quite iconic. Is that heresy? Is that heresy, James? Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> the Green Goblin. Like, compared to Kirby. 
But yeah, the yeah. original Green Goblin with his broomstick. Like the point is, is that most of them got imp- the basic template got improved on by people later, whereas a lot of Kirby stuff people didn't really change at all. Yeah, I, don't I mean the Spider-Man design. I think that probably that pretty much nailed it. Yeah, although but... Jack Kirby claims credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but his was the what orange and blue version with a gun or whatever, wasn't it? So... <laughs> Um, anything else? Does it look like Michael Keaton and Marisa Tomei are going to be dating? Or have I just... It looked, I, I, Is that just your wish fulfilment? <laughs> no, I thought it looked, it looked like that maybe that was going to be the vibe of the film, that he was a guy that was uh, dating Peter's aunt. Eh, and that, that was going to be like... It, you know, that is sim- I, I guess similar to with the Green Goblin, with the, you know, in the original Spider-Man, the, the home life and the mm. Spider-Man life start to intersect in ways that he can't Possibly. stop. Possibly. It would make sense. Mm. I'm just um, mostly... I, I, I think I, I'm I, mostly we, excited about the high school stuff. The high school stuff looks fun and, um, I you know, I like, the, I, I like the idea that it feels like a modern-day... Um, a modern day high school movie because I don't think we get many most of the most of the stuff that we see tends to be throwbacks to stuff like The Breakfast Club and while this does have you know that vibe of you know like that they, they've got some John Hughes inspiration I like the fact that he's a kid in a multicultural school in in Queens and that he's uh, you know he's using his he's watching YouTube in the classroom and stuff like that I hmm. I'm hoping. Yeah, it's I mean, they, but this is why it was so daft to leave it all out of the international trailer because that's, as I say, that's the side of things that I think is going to make this movie hopefully stand out a bit more, as well as it just being a Spider-Man movie. But I, I just feel like just selling it on being a Spider-Man movie with a bit of Tony Stark in it is a slightly lazy way to try and. <laughs> it's a sell lazy it. way to make half a billion dollars. <laughs> well, look, you you guys said these exact comments about the um, first Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. The, the, the first Guardians of the Galaxy so. trailer, which which was. A not good trailer, but a good way to sell the movie, and I think that's similar here. I don't think it's a great trailer, but I, I uh, definitely don't agree with you, Seb, that it's not doing a good job of selling the movie because this movie, its big selling point, at least to begin with, to hook people in, is Iron Man, and they showed a lot of Iron Man, and I think that's fine. And there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff they're going to get pulled up by trade descriptions when he turns <laughs> out to not be in the movie very much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they'll probably have just enough of him. The, I was just going to say about Michael Keaton when you when you brought him up, actually, that um, I think we did say it before, but I think the point worth making again that I do feel slightly bad that um, that he played Batman in an era when the villains are more important and now he's playing the Vulture in an era where the heroes <laughs> are more important. It's like, when is he going to catch a break? I'm yeah. sure he'd be very good because he's Michael Keaton, but yeah. Um, you should point out there's still, there's still some, you know, kind of, fairly major cast members I think that we we haven't seen so there wasn't I mean there was very little of Zendaya there's um, uh, Donald Glover I think was like spotted in the background of a shot of the international trailer but wasn't really there Um, we didn't see any of Flash Thompson um, who you know they've cast Tony Revolori so I think we're going to see quite a lot of him in in the film itself Um, and a lot of the you know a lot of the kind of the adult cast that they that they've got involved, who I think are going to be a lot of the teachers and, and people like that. But like, um, um, and there's Michael Barbieri, who I know a lot of people really liked in a, in a film earlier this year, who we haven't seen. Kenneth Choi, Martin Starr, Hannibal Barres, loads of people. So I think there's still a lot a lot to look forward Hannibal to. Hannibal Barres? Yes. He's going to be wow. the gym teacher. <laughs> okay. 
Um, and Anjuri Rice, who was um, in, uh, she was in the Nice Guys earlier this year um, as um, Russell Crowe's daughter. I think has one of the kind of the main, one of the main roles as part of the you know the kid group in this. Yeah, kind of looking their, their very Gwen Stacy in that one shot she was in. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're, there's 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 still a lot still to see from this movie. The same same as we you know with Guardians of the Galaxy, it's holding a lot back, and um, I think that's good. I'm still I'm still very much looking forward to this. So uh, yeah, Spider Man Homecoming coming in July, and uh, we should also add that the sequel um, apparently, uh, according to the trades, um, has been set for July 2019, which would make it the first post Avengers Infinity. War Part Two movie from Marvel. Can we? Can we like? Can we get Hollywood to agree to stop announcing dates for films this far in advance? Because it's <laughs> like, the, the, whatever <laughs> yeah, date a film gets announced on four years in advance, it won't be released on that exact day. It might be released that year. But this whole thing now of reserving these, just say we've decided that we're definitely going to make a second one, no matter what happens with the first one. We're going to aim for it to but be that's, out. That's what not what the point is. Seb. It's not. It's not for. It's not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of the other movie studios, and that's why you had this big showdown. But they'll change anyway. So but they change. It they what change, effect does it have on the other studio <laughs> around each other in the studio's plan? And so when when Captain America Civil War I remember when Captain America 3 was announced and it was going to be like a weekend after or a weekend before Batman v Superman that was a big deal because one of those studios had to blink and had to move and I think DC got wind that this Captain America 3 was actually going to be a movie that had Captain America and Iron Man in it and they went ah yeah we probably should move out of this way <laughs> but that, was, looking, I mean, looking that, looking that was a lot closer to release that, that wasn't like four years before the film came out. Because like, they're the staking out their territory. They're going, date... they're going, we're having July 2019. No, all, all they're DC, doing don't is you put they're staking there. out they're staking out a date on which you can lay money that the film won't be released. Because I'll they bet you, I'll they're, bet they're you doing right it for now, investors though, aren't I will they? bet really? you right now that Spider-Man 2 comes out in July 2019. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd agree with that. And the thing is, it's for investors. Like, it's them saying, yeah. like... We are going to have a big summer smash on this date. Give us your money. Hmm. And so if that changes, fair enough. But it's all it's all just marketing bullshit, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's not just it's they not for like audiences, but audiences pick year, up on it. You know. And I think, I think they could say summer twenty nineteen, not the fourth of July. <laughs> but then DC might say we're doing the fourth of July. <laughs> And then one of those two has to blink, and they have to. No, change. but I'm saying the rule is that they all stop. <laughs> this is the rule I'm proposing: is that they all stop doing it. <laughs> I, I think you get a ring. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I am fine with this. It certainly helps me plan uh, podcast stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is when I expect these things to happen. Um, anyway, looking forward to uh, Gambit from two months ago. to prove Seb's point Um, (laughs) okay well I think we talked so long about the Spider-Man trailer that it probably doesn't make sense to any more news there's nothing else that exciting to cover anyway we'll let the mini-sode pick up the slack in that regard Um, and we'll move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Captain America the first Avenger But before we do, let's listen to the trailer for the movie. 
Rogers, Steven. Just give me a chance. Sorry, son. You're saving your life. General Patton has said that wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. Our goal is to create the greatest army in history. I should be going with you. Look, I know you don't think I can do this. This but... isn't a back alley, Steve. It's war. But every army begins with one man. Five tries in five different cities. I can offer you a chance. He will be the first in a new breed of super soldiers. Why me? Because the weak men lose the value of strength. Lose the value of power. It wasn't so bad. That was penicillin. We are going to win this war because we have the best men. Now Mr. Stop. stop. They will personally escort Adolf Hitler to the gates of hell. Okay, so that was the trailer for Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, the first Avenger, as it was called internationally, I believe, um, because they were very worried about marketing a film called Captain America um, around the world. Uh, Wasn't in I mean, you could see that point. One, like... There was only one uh, country that actually did market it as the first I Avenger in the end, though, wasn't there? Yeah, was it China? No, no, didn't, no, 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 it didn't I come out in China, think, did it? Um, I, I think did read it this was. Part of me wants to say Turkey, but I think it was one of those kind of Baltic state areas, maybe. Um, it was. There were three: Russia, South Korea, and Ukraine. Called okay. it First Avenger. Um, no, I mean, uh, to be honest, I, I, I was going to say is I could see their point in the sense of marketing a movie with the name of Captain America. Like, even as someone who knows a lot about comics and has read a lot of comics, like in advance of this film being made, um, a film with Captain America's name on it would not necessarily have seemed like a very appealing prospect no, to me. I definitely this remember was the one being concerned about jingoism. Yeah, this this was... The, I think they were, they were very concerned about the the Americana of it all and that particularly there are a lot of countries around the world and places that aren't that sympathetic to America. That the <laughs> also with it, with it, wasn't... I mean, it's worth remembering America had just bombed flat a lot of the... <laughs> Middle East. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, I mean, you know, like there are with a couple of specific exceptions, and hey, we've got a recommendation section to come up, um, like there have not been a lot of great 
Captain America comics, and he's not generally been a great character in the comics. Ooh, like, I disagree with this. I think there have been a lot of good Captain America comics, but I think uh, oh, the yeah. character is inherently no, old-fashioned. Yeah, you're right because there is all the stuff in the '80s that's that's really good. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's more. Yeah, it's more. I, there's been not many occasions where the character has been the reason to read his comics. Let's put it that way. Um, well, this was gonna. This was. He's Marvel's Boy Scout, isn't he? But I mean, like DC's Boy Scout is Superman, and Superman is a global icon, whereas Captain America. Um, I don't know whether he is more so in America, but outside of America, I don't think anyone cared. And I think of all of the, I, I remember at the time thinking you've that you've still got loads of characters that you haven't made movies of yet. How how are you getting to Captain America already? He seems like someone that no one really cares that much about. No one's that enthusiastic I about. Think... And everything everything I was reading leading up to the movie as well was like this is. I mean, it's set during World War Two, which is all of the which is all of the really kind of old jingoistic kind of silly bland captain america stuff that um isn't the kind of the great stuff that you're talking about in the 80s or the brubaker stuff from the past decade i mean to be fair i think captain america's a very recognizable figure like certainly Mm. i can understand the logic of doing a captain america movie early on especially more so than iron man for a Start, if you like, if you think of the characters that they had the rights to in terms of would the public just straight up have heard of them, yeah. then Captain America must be the highest profile one that they had. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, Iron Man's probably the only other one. Oh, no, Hulk. Of course, they had Hulk. Yeah. Um, I mean, pre-MCU, pre, like, uh, pre like, the character, the most recognisable characters were Spider-Man, Hulk, and Captain America. Um, you know, I mean, but Captain America did at least have the, you know, when Captain America throws his mighty shield and so like people would have <laughs> yeah. known of him because of the name and because the name itself became mm. a template for so many other superheroes. Like in the same way as Superman means that there are other heroes called something man, Captain America means that there are other superheroes called Captain something. I think what I thought then was not not necessarily that the recognition wasn't there, but that just it didn't seem like a particularly interesting character. Um and uh, I mean, I couldn't be more wrong because I think this movie is a, uh, a, a like. First of all, this this movie more so more so than Thor. Thor opened up the MCU and kind of did some of the heavy lifting with the cosmic stuff and the ideas. But in terms of creating a character, Steve Rogers is so important to what Marvel did with the Avengers, and I think has become. As we saw with Captain America: Civil War, has become as central as Tony Stark to these movies, uh, to, to to what Marvel are doing, um, more so more so than any other character, and um, and I just wouldn't have expected that coming in. No. Um, but yeah, the, the the fact that they get this character so right here, I think, um, is the reason why the Avengers was the smash it was a year later even if maybe only a third of the Avengers audience actually went to see Captain America. I mean the thing that strikes me about Captain America in this movie is that it's the it's kind of a formative version of Steve Rogers that we haven't really seen because when he was created it was in the 1940s when like it was pre-Stan Lee doing all the kind of interesting stuff with superheroes so Captain America was a kind of generic superhero figure uh and like they haven't really gone back and retold the origins since then in any major certainly no definitive way um 
So I think having the chance to like redo Captain America in the sort of modern mold definitely helped him be less of an icon and more of a sort of three-dimensional figure. And he feels he 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 feels very unique. I mean, this is this is going beyond this movie. I'm kind of talking about the context of uh, of all the stuff that Marvel are doing, but that you have him as this um, kind of idealistic World War II guy, and this has framed all of the stuff that they've done with him since. Um, you know, the the fact that he he is picked entirely based on his virtues, because I mean, all of the other Marvel characters that you get in the Avengers. I mean, you've got um, Tony Stark, who's a bit of a dick. You've got um, uh, Thor. That's his entire thing in his movie is that he has to be humbled and he has to come to understand, um, you know, that he doesn't have some like inherent right to be the, you know, the king of Asgard <laughs> or whatever. And you've got, um, you've got uh, Black Widow who, you know, say she's got red in her ledger and uh, all, all of these characters are kind of in some way compromised or have like darker past. Whereas um, Steve Rogers and, Captain America, he's a he's a paragon of virtue, and that he comes from this different time where things were a little bit more straightforward. I mean, they and I think it's it's so simple, but they essentially construct this film and this movie and this character around the one line, which is "I don't like bullies, no matter where they're from," and that that's that character in a nutshell, isn't it? And that has been that character across the five films that we've seen him in now. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be careful saying, like, he comes from a simpler time or whatever, because I think a lot of the other characters are more complex. Um, And the challenge with Captain America was not necessarily to make him old-fashioned, but to make him interesting, despite his sort of Mm. Boy Scout nature. Like, I think that's a problem, whatever era you're dealing with. Um, and it's it, it's something I mean, they did very interestingly in the Winter Soldier. Actually, was sort of address yes, that. They build on it fantastically, yeah. though. Yeah. And it's and I think sorry, go on, Seb. No, I was just going to say. I mean, it, and it's I think you can actually directly see the the potential pitfalls in trying to take that character and update him and update his origin and update his personality um, just by looking at the Ultimates, which um, there'll come a point in the future when we talk about that in more detail. Um, But um, the Ultimates was one of the reasons, I think, why I would have had so much trepidation before this movie. Um, It wasn't that I disliked Captain America because I thought he was, um, you know, kind of boring and a a goody-goody and a Boy Scout because, hey, you know, Superman's my favourite superhero. I I don't have a problem with Captain America being like Superman. In fact, that's why I like him in these movies so much. Spoiler. Um, But... Um, you know, one of my main exposures to Captain America comics before this movie, um, because I hadn't read um, stuff like the Brubaker stuff at that point, was the Ultimates, in which he's a dick. So, I, you know, I just... And initially, he is portrayed relatively sympathetically, but what Ultimates does is um, introduces him straight off the bat as, you know, you have a World War II flashback, but he's immediately active as Captain America in World War II. Like, Mark Miller in Ultimates is not at all interested in Steve Rogers pre-Captain America. He is interested in the origin in the sense of being being dug out of the ice and waking up all these decades later. And to be fair to him, like, there is some quite interesting and nuanced stuff in terms of how he's dealing with modern life compared with his life in the past. But... <laughs> 
in terms of the personality of him, he's just immediately introduced as a brash soldier during World War Two. Um, he's full of himself and he's a complete arsehole and like he's just a complete arsehole throughout the entirety of both Mark Miller's runs on the Ultimates. Like he's such an unlikable character. And that is what, you know, <laughs> put me off a Captain America movie. I sort of, um, like, this is going way off topic, but I sort of feel like Miller was doing that as a deliberate criticism of like American foreign foreign policy. Probably because, like you know, M- Miller's um, views on on Bush, I think, are, are well documented, and he has Bush as the president in those comics and being quite pally with Captain America. So uh, it could be, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, I it's don't know because because Miller has a so track well record movies, of, of characters who you think that he think well, who I tend to suspect he thinks are likable but actually aren't, <laughs> and I kind of feel like Cap more falls in. Like I d- it certainly there are certain points when I think you're supposed to be more sympathetic to him than I come off as being because yeah because he's a dick <laughs> but these these are all things that they they've figured out how to get around in the movies, exactly that's, I mean that's what I'm saying is like if you compare it to Ultimates like they they do it so much better in the movie they actually you know well they give him a personality they they look at the potential pitfalls and I think they get around most of them um, you have to kind of commend them as well for resisting a line as uh, seductive as you think this a on my head stands for france <laughs> yeah which which in and of itself isn't a bad moment that what ruins that moment is like a few pages later nick fury telling captain america what a funny line it was and like <laughs> if you're a writer don't write a moment in your story where someone else compliments a joke that you have written <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, when we do Avengers you'll get to read Ultimates that'll be interesting because uh, man I mean I'm making it sound like it's a terrible comic here it's not a terrible comic it's a really interesting comic it just has terrible things about it anyway <laughs> that's another pod yeah um, but so I think that's the one thing we can probably all agree on here um, is that you know regardless of how much we like this movie and how much we like this movie in relation to the other captain america movies because spoiler alert this is my favorite captain america movie by some distance um and i you know every time i come back to this movie i love it more and i see more things that i love about it i it's it's so much higher for me in my mcu rankings than <laughs> almost anyone i've ever spoken to um I don't understand the why one you thing, prefer it, it to Winter Soldier. I mean, I know we're going to discuss why you prefer it to Winter Soldier, but... Because it's better. Um, <laughs> it has a better director, for one. Um, and but, the, but Chris Evans here is, is, is so much responsible for, I think, especially early on, how much we like Steve and yeah. and how he makes you right because there really there isn't that much like I say I think the 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 I don't like bullies no matter where they're from is a, that makes up a whole lot of this character and a whole lot of his motivations and his worldview it isn't the most complex and interesting character but Chris Evans makes us really love this guy and really buy into everything he's doing. Um, and I think sells all of the relationships in the movie as well. All, all of the, you know, him and him and Peggy, him and Bucky, um, and him and him and Doctor Erskine. Yes, um, I mean it's, it's, Chris, Chris Evans is great, and this is coming off him playing one of the most disliked superhero movie characters <laughs> prior to this, because everyone hates Johnny in Fantastic Four, don't they? 
See, I'm I'm really I I I mean I've only got vague memories of of fantastic of the first Fantastic Four, and I haven't seen the second one. And you know, I do have a vague. You haven't seen the second one. No, I never got around to it. Jesus. well, look, we're going to do it for the podcast. Once will be enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've got vague recollections of him being a bit annoying, but I also think there were probably worse things about that film. But I, I, it's these films made me, make me interested to go back and watch that just to see Chris Evans playing another superhero. Like, yeah, that's that's how much I like him in these films. I think, well, he can't possibly have been that bad in Fantastic Four if he's so good in these. Like, because I'm not sure it's that he's bad. It's just it's a... They write the character as a jockey douche, and mm. he plays it that way. And Chris Evans, you know, he kind of earlier in his career had that kind of reputation. Yeah. He plays the parody of that in not another teen movie. Mm. <laughs> Scott um, Pilgrim. Yeah, I mean, in Scott yeah, Pilgrim, he does yeah. it exquisitely well. But um, you know, at that point, he's, he'd in he's, fact. Uh, I know. In the build-up to between the Fantastic Four franchise and getting to Captain America, he had started turning up in roles. And I remember seeing him in Sunshine, which I think arrived the same year as the Fantastic Four sequel, and going, that's that guy I hated in that other film, but he's fantastic here. And um, The Losers, which is probably another movie we'll get to on this podcast at some mm-hmm. point, he's um, he's very charming. Um, I quite like him in um, Paul McGuigan's Push. Um, Scott Pilgrim is the obvious one. And... Uh, and yeah, I remember that that being the one kind of thing that I was hanging on to was like, because hmm. do you remember when they were casting up this movie and they were talking about like possibly John Krasinski? <laughs> God, no, I don't even think I remember can seeing you that. Im- he's he's screen tested for the role. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would. I, I, the only the only way I could react to that is with a gif of him from the office looking towards the camera (laughs) i mean to be fair i mean you know would you it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they could have have done a chris pratt with him because would you have thought that chris pratt would be you know playing all the roles that chris pratt has played recently like i'm re-watching parks at the moment and just like we're still on fat scruffy andy at the moment and i'd refuse to believe that that is even the same person that's in passengers um, it's like it literally doesn't look like the same person. So you know they could have done that with Krasinski. And I remember seeing him in Jarhead, and he was like because he was playing a, a marine or whatever in that, and it was a bit less gym-ish. But yeah, no, it still would have been, you know. I mean, I suppose it's difficult now because Evans has really made this a role where you just can't imagine anyone else having that same level of the the combination of the likability and the steel. And I mean, I I know that to the world at large, like the the MVP in the Marvel films will always be Robert Downey Jr. And even after he's left the series, like he will be the most important actor figure in this whole series of films. But for me, in terms of what keep want keeps me wanting to come back to these is is the character of, of Cap and how how Evans plays him, like more so than Robert Downey Jr. I think. In terms of quality of performance, I think it's a more important piece of casting than Downey Jr. With Downey Jr., it's about everything that he represents and everything that he does with that role. And we talked about that when we talked about Iron Man, but and how he, you know, he literally is Tony Stark. But Chris Evans has kind of made himself literally Captain America, like especially when you read him on Twitter lately. Um, you know, he's <laughs> yeah. really like he's he's committing to that role, which is ironic given yeah, that he might I was... not be doing it for much longer. But um, yeah. very concerned about recording a podcast where we talk about Nazis quite a lot right now. Yeah. 
who'd, who'd, who'd have thought that um, it's a good idea to punch Nazis in the face would be a topical movie in the year 2016. Mm. But yeah, <sighs> this is our escape, guys. This is our escape. <laughs> Um, yeah, every every, sorry, every time just, in, in Star Spangled Man, every time he punches Hitler, I, I just imagine that that's Milo Yiannopoulos. Ah, <laughs> uh, wonderful. Um, I'm just looking at the list of actors. We don't have to discuss this, but some of our listeners might be interested. The shortlist that had John Krasinski on it also had Scott Porter, Garrett Hedlund, Jensen Ackles, um, Chase Crawford, Michael Cassidy, and Mike Vogel. I think the majority of which I know their work fairly well and... God, that's a horrible shortlist. Garrett Hedlund. And they were, they were, they were, they were apparently they were going after um, Chris <coughs> Evans. Like he turned down the role on multiple occasions. Um, he said afterwards it was because he was partly put off by the fact that this was going to be a six-seven film contract that he had to sign, mm-hmm. and that he'd be tied in for a long time doing this. And and also that if this went wrong after Fantastic Four, he was screwed. Basically, mm-hmm. like if 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 he if he got it wrong again. That was kind of it for him in any kind of big movies, um, but it's it's a what is it's a wonderful performance, and I think so much of that also comes down to the effects work that they do throughout the first act with Skinny Steve, mm-hmm. which is um, I don't know it's 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 incredible because I mean I know how they've done it I I you know. I've, I've seen the featurettes and all that kind of stuff of how they created the the skinny Steve character, um, but the importance of actually having Chris Evans performing there as Skinny Steve, um, so that for the impact of the transformation, but also I, I don't know I, I I still kind of I I still think it kind of does cast a shadow on the character a positive one um going forward as we see him in these future movies that you you still can see this skinny kid inside of this character and i think i think maybe um i don't know i was kind of team tony in civil war but when i think back to this kid right here and what what shaped him in this movie i think oh maybe i was wrong <laughs> do you, what, what do you think of the effects did are you are you as impressed as i am I, I, I find them sort of jarring when I go, like, when I rewatch it. I'm just like, I like it's obviously effects. I think which... there's one particular scene where it doesn't really work, which is when he's in the car with Peggy. Like, he looks too small there. Um, I think most of the stuff when he's on the army base is is really well done, and I think yeah, yeah. I think works well. But um, yeah, that bit in the car, I think maybe because it's quite static. So you're just kind of looking at him, and you're just thinking, "Yeah, you're you're, you're you've been digitally mm. shrunk here." I don't think the Erskine scenes is bad actually. I think I think that comes off quite well. So maybe it's not just that it's static, but um... do you think that it might be as well because because he is being shot next to Haley Atwell, who um, you know is is his we we know is going to be his love interest, and because you're right, he is like static next to her. Yeah, so I suppose um, you and do, Hayley you do Atwell's kind of, not. Uh, you think about the she's logistics not like a skinny. A <laughs> but she's not she's not like a skinny kind of Gwyneth Paltrow because mm. she's quite like full figured isn't she and um uh, yeah it, I think maybe the that because it's in your head as well that these two are potentially attracted to each other it does look quite weird that she is a foot taller than him and you know quite curvaceous whereas and probably and probably <laughs> if you stuck both of those characters on a set of weighing scales right there he would probably be what like 30 pounds less than her at that point (laughs) (laughs) just because he is so small he's so small um so yeah i i 
I, I can see what you mean in that scene. But I just, I, I think it's really impressive. I don't know. I, I kind of buy that character. I, I never think, I never think when I'm watching. Oh, I, I that just seems like Chris Evans scaled down. I think, huh? Yeah, I, I, I think that character's really there, and I think they do a good job with the hair as well. The kind of the like the floppy over his forehead look which ends up getting a little bit more slicked back as he as he gets through the movie and uh, becomes the buff beefcake that he will be post-transformation <laughs> which we do need to talk about you guys because when when he comes out of that uh, <laughs> transformation all glistening I think I think we I think we all empathise with Peggy's reaction there don't we is this sorry I'm, I'm not sure what moment you're talking about because I don't think you've ever talked about this <laughs> moment on the podcast before can, can you just remind us of it uh, I was wa- I was watching this with Laura and I had to re- I was like the best moment in all of the Marvel movies is coming up here possibly the best moment in movie history <laughs> when she reaches out and tries to grab his peck which apparently Hayley Atwell said it was not in the script and she just she kind of reached out to grab it and realised oh wait I'm supposed to be in character here filming <laughs> let's carry on the weird thing which is, I'm not sure I believe like, it sounds like a fun story but from from you talking about it so much and, and reminding me of it like when I then watched it actually rewatching the film properly for this it was it was more fleeting than I remembered like it, it is almost oh, a yeah. blink and you'll miss it thing and I was imagining that's the it best thing about it more, um, I think it, you it's can't, because of you that it had built up in my head as more of a significant <laughs> moment <laughs> It's just because it, it is it is a moment that I, I remember at the time thinking I bet half of the audience didn't even see that because you've got to you you know especially on a big cinema screen if your if if your focus isn't down on where although I don't know why your focus wouldn't be on his pecs right then <laughs> but like because he is glistening and heaving and he does have these enormous man boobs uh, <laughs> time. and it's just it, it's just a it's just a perfect moment of kind of really getting into the audience's head of like. Oh, oh my god, he is how like I I, I want to reach out and get is that real? How because I think because they've done such a good job of him being skinny before and um I just love the way that she does it and then checks herself and kind of like shakes her head and carries on and it's the moment that sells me on Peggy in this movie because I think before she is kind of she's she's great leading up to that but she is the kind of the cliche of the you know the uh the World War Two propaganda poster with the you know the woman with the with her muscle and the true, but I I do like the fact that literally within thirty seconds of walking onto screen for the first time she punches a dickhead in the face. Like I know it's yeah. a kind of obvious thing to do, or you know, kind of the 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 sexist bloke says something and then she punches him. Like it is, it's a cliche, but it does set the tone for her character quite well. Um, yes, you know, like, and, but I think this, this, I think maybe this, this is the first like real humanizing moment. The, mm. the, the scene in the car is quite sweet, but um, you're right, there is, there is maybe something a little bit distracting about the effects in that scene, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't quite land. Um, but I mean, it's, for me, she is uh, by far and away, and uh, again, hazard to use this term, but this is definitely probably what would be on the casting call sheet. She's the best love interest in the MCU as far as I'm concerned. I know you like Pepper um, but I think um, I, don't, I, I, I don't know, I can't imagine going off and watching a Pepper TV series and being really, really invested in that because I think she's great with Steve but she's also great in her own right um, and that's, you know, that's that's why Agent Carter um, 
I mean, for, for for whenever Agent Carter felt like it was misstepping slightly or wasn't wasn't exactly firing all all cylinders, um, she was never the problem with it. And in fact, she was probably probably the reason that you wanted to keep watching. Um, um, I mean, I th- I think it's I guess a phrase like best love interest or whatever. Like I th- I would agree with you because of what she goes on to do that she is the best character who is also a love interest. But as far as love interest in terms of how the story plays out between the characters, while I do like the tragedy of this and, and it works really well and it is moving mm. at the end, overall as a story, I am still more invested in, in Tony and Pepper as a couple. Um, but no, I, I mean, I agree with you that she is the best character who has been introduced as a love interest, but a lot of that is to do with everything that's happened with her since. Um, I mean, and even actually in this, like she is a character who you, you know when you know that she's going to be separated from Steve at the end of the film, and you're like, oh, okay, does that mean her story's over? You do think, yeah, I want to see more of this character going and doing cool stuff during and after the war. Yeah. It's not just because they went and did the one shot. Like it was a good thing that they went and did the one shot because you knew from this film that there was the potential for her to go on and do that. And you're right. The, the the stuff that they've done with her since has been. I mean, every time she's popped back up, has been strong. I mean, uh, the Age of Ultron scenes, uh, the uh, the Winter Soldier scene, um, the Ant Man scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which has nothing to do with Steve, but it's still great. Um, and I I think the the finale of season one of Captain America is uh, of Captain America of Agent Carter the her kind of grappling with and moving on from her relationship with Steve um, I think is one of the the stronger moments in that series but yeah in actually in this film itself I think the the interplay between them is great I love the kind of the the chaste nature of the relationship um, <laughs> uh, I, just the 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 because it, it it's really great for Steve who by the way is definitely a virgin like long into the MCU. <laughs> that's something that's not addressed, but he's basically never spoken to a girl before. He kisses Natalie Dormer um, in this movie, but like, it's not, well, she kisses that's, him, that's kind of, is more. Yeah. <laughs> it lasts for a few seconds though. I'm with Peggy there. He definitely steps out of line. Um, but the, yeah, the sweetness of like, when, when Howard's explaining to him, fondue, it's melted cheese. <laughs> the fact that he thinks that fondueing is is some kind of sexual euphemism is wonderful and sweet. But this is, I think, why the relationship strikes such a why it hits home so much for me. I and spoilers for um, his dark materials here, but that's a uh, the his dark material stories. Um, always, I've read that book that book series a few times, and I watched it performed on stage, and every time it kind of really stays with me for quite a long time afterwards because any story where which ends with the kind of a couple who are perfect for each other and destined to be to, or, or should be destined to be together and then through some quirk and some kind of unfixable quirk that can't be reversed can then no longer be together um i just find hugely moving and i genuinely well up when they're on the intercom on the on the plane and Peggy and Steve are talking to each other at the end of the movie because I don't know that's just I think that's just a a storytelling trope that always gets me and if I've bought into the relationship ahead of time which I definitely have here with Peggy and Steve um yeah I just I it it it, I, it just knocks me for six every time 
I'm aware, James, that you've been very quiet for about the past five or <laughs> ten minutes. And I know that I'm waxing lyrical about this movie, but you're not quite as keen on it as I am. So, I mean, I'm going to give you the opportunity, and I promise not to get mad, if you don't think that Peggy and Steve are quite as wonderful as I do. Uh, I think my problem with it is that I, I never found the relationship as interesting as you guys seem to. Like maybe, I like I don't feel like they were destined to be together. Maybe it was because I'm approaching it from the standpoint of I'm a f- fan of Captain America in an era where Sharon Comics. Carter's his like, you know, main love interest or whatever. Like I just and I was furious, James, when he kissed Sharon Carter in Civil War. Absolutely furious. <laughs> Justifiably, because she's just. You monster! Yeah. Don't cop off with her niece. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the MCU, Ugh. certainly Sharon Carter's not got a huge amount of business kissing Captain America. Like, definitely, she's at the back of a longer queue than mm. she appeared to be in that film. But at the same time, like, I just, for me, I was watching it through the lens of here is a love story that's doomed from the start so maybe i never engage with it fully you know it never really clicked for me what about at the end though i mean we're jumping around the movie but when right so they've they've had that conversation you know they're gonna meet for the dance on saturday and it's it's because they both know it's not gonna happen um but then steve has the kind of the torture of waking up because he thinks he's going to die, basically. He doesn't think that he's going to have to emotionally deal with it in the way that Peggy is going to have to emotionally deal with it. <laughs> and then wakes up and gets all of this stuff explained to him by Nick Fury. You've been asleep for 70 years, Cap. This is, You're stood in the middle of this giant, intimidating Times Square, which, by the way, is a wonderful scene. It's mm. so exquisitely shot. The way that it, it kind of has the the bright vibrancy of the colours compared to the kind of the browns and the almost sepia tone that the rest of the movie has had. So that that entire scene is great. And then to have all of it explained to him and then the only thing that's on Steve's mind is I, I had a date. And we cut to black. And it's, it's, oh, it's a very James. good laugh. Yeah, it's a nice moment. Oh. It's just, uh, you know, I watched the whole film through there on the understanding that it's not going to happen. So... <laughs> You know, it just yeah, it's it didn't click for me the journey, first time. James. Yeah, it didn't click for me the first time, and it just never clicked for me in subsequent times. So, I'm just imagining the idea of you know falling in love with Haley Atwell and her falling in love with me, and then being told. <laughs> yeah, that. I think yeah, this is why. It I think that's what we're really. Yeah. <laughs> that's not. That's not the main thing. <laughs> I do love Haley Atwell. Um, if it was Kat Dennings, then we uh, might have yeah. a conversation on our hands, but. Yeah, um, the, I, also, I feel that I should mention the moment where they finally, when they do finally kiss before they leave, it's 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 kind of wonderfully elevated because he's he's about to jump off a speeding car onto a plane and they're like speeding towards the edge of a cliff that they could fall off of. And she grabs him and pulls him back for a kiss. It's nonsense, but it's so sweet. And then the, the undercutting of the moment of Tommy Lee Jones going... I'm not kissing you. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot, there's a lot of little moments like that in this film. This is pre the MCU going kind of as uh, overtly comedic Mm. as they would get in the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy and some of the other films. Um, And I think that they tried to add into even films like Thor 2 that it was a little bit jarring. Um, 
these are just sweet, I think, funny little moments that and, that happen here and there, and that they've got the cast, the the um, the strength of a supporting cast, all of whom can deliver little quips here and there. And and another one that I'd think of would be uh, Erskine going, uh, "No, I should get now. I don't <laughs> yeah. have procedure in the morning." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's loads of that. There's absolutely loads of that. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure you're uh, right to say it wasn't as overtly comedic because if you think like Iron Man Two, I guess was pretty dour compared to Iron Man One, but Thor was, you know, comedy all over the place. I don't know. I think I think the MCU became a lot more Joss Whedon-y post the Avengers. Uh, Which like is ironic because Joss Whedon did a pass over the script for this. So. I was going to say he he did yeah he well yeah pro- I think he he was probably well involved at this point. But I think if if Joss Whedon did a pass, do you think that was for uh, to add in quips, or do you think that was just to check that everything's square? Well, he he, he said it to was do? to line up with Avengers. Yeah, I think Joss <laughs> yeah. Whedon would be physically unable to rewrite a script without putting quips in there. <laughs> So yeah, going going back to the the kind of the way that this film is structured, and that we have kind of what I think is um, a near perfect opening hour of we you know we get the uh, so we start off with the framing device, um, we get um, Schmidt introduced and the Nazi stuff. We then get Skinny Steve, and we get Steve Steve being recruited to the Super Soldier program. He gets his transformation. Um, he's then he gets his one moment of action and then he is taken off for the uh, <laughs> propaganda guy. Uh, for the USO tour stuff um, and all of that stuff's kind of great and I think that that's one perfect hour but I think what a lot of people seem to say why this film doesn't stand up for them is that the second half kind of loses its way and I guess is that something that you guys buy into because I I kind of uh, I see it a little bit almost like I'll compare it to Wall-E where the first half of Wall-E is flawless the second half's not as good but it's still, still great really film. great yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of how I feel about this I think there's only really about 15-20 minutes from when they infiltrate the Hydra base with Red Skull at the end to having the fight on the plane that doesn't really that's a bit that's dull the point where but in, in the same bit, yeah but in the same way that almost every Marvel movie does for 10 or 15 minutes at the end, or, or at least they did during phase one. See, for me, it's the bit like as soon as he goes off to rescue Bucky, I think the film stops doing anything particularly interesting with the characters. Um, and certainly it feels like they get to the end of the film and they've only done two acts and there's a third act to come. Like, that's my... My problem with it is a lot that of people they... seem to be frustrated that we skirt over the Howling Commandos and the Steve actually being in World yeah, War Two. Yeah, I mean, they, we kind of get his origin. They really like, and then piss we get away told that he's been off on all there. these adventures. Like they, you know, in a way they could they build in a lot of stuff so that they can maybe flash back to it in future movies, which they do slightly and stuff. But it's like for me, it feels like they get to a point where Captain America has become Captain America and then the film ends instead of having him sort of grow into the hero. If you see what I mean? Like, it's kind of... It all happens a little too quickly, a little too easily, without any restriction. But isn't that the point that he already... Like, he is the hero. They've picked him and... They picked him because of his personality and his traits, and that the super soldier serum is going to yeah 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 um, 
bring all of the good out of him, we then see a mission where we see well we see the we see him chasing down Richard Armitage, Nazi Richard Armitage first, and then we get his one big mission after the USO tour. And that kind of is you know, he now is the super soldier. He goes off and does his montage of missions and now we're gonna finally see him show down with the Red Skull. Yeah, but like where um, you know, where's the jeopardy? Where's the obstacle to that? It's just a leads to B leads to C. It's just that, you know, there's no twist or sort of... There's nothing that stops it or nothing that surprises you is, I guess, what my problem is with it. It just it feels like things happen just as they should and there's no complication. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that's... I think that's something that a lot of people who think this film... And I think... Am I right in saying you think this film is good, it's fine, but it's, you know, it's kind of... It's okay and let's move on and see better movies with Captain America. Yeah, it's like it's top half, you know, top half of my MCU films, but not top five. You know, it's comfortably middling to good. And that's primarily because the third act just sort of happens and there's nothing really interesting about it. See, I, I don't disagree with you on that as such, but I, I, I am more with Joe in the sense that everything that comes before that and then the stuff that comes at the very end after it is so good that um that that it that I think I think the film can cope better with having that sag than say Thor does. And like and I think I've talked about this before, but I think this film's reputation has grown for me because when I first saw both <coughs> of these films I had them on a really similar level. Um, I now enjoy this far more because I think the highs of this are are far higher than those of Thor, even though in some ways they sometimes suffer from the same problems. But I just think the way that this film just sings, um, not I mean I don't mean that literally, although apart from him watching it literally um, mm. for the for that first hour or so, and like you know, I think I think every character beat is great, and I think every performance is great, and it's like. It's kind of rare, I think. For, I mean, generally, obviously, the Marvel films do get the casting great, but usually there's a bum note somewhere, and and this doesn't have one in the casting, with the possible exception of... I apologise for the people I'm going to offend by saying this, but that Sebastian Stan isn't especially good <laughs> in this one, yeah. uh, or indeed in any of them. Um, but, yeah. um, you know, it doesn't really matter. I feel like the people who like there. Sebastian Stan <laughs> in the Marvel movies like him from other things he's he's such a blank slate here there's not there's nothing going on about that with that character he's only interesting in the first couple of scenes as steve's hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, and that's because Chris Evans sells it. Mm. So actually, um, okay, I've, I've talked myself out of my point that there isn't a problem. <laughs> but it's nothing massively detrimental because I think, the, you know, the character is so empty on the, the, the page. I mean, anyway. the thing is that... But like all of that supporting crew are just, you know so much fun and, like the thing is you're talking about like oh you know most films have this sag but i like i don't feel like it sags i think it hits its high point sort of halfway through and then just sort of trundles to a halt like it doesn't doesn't peak at the end and when it finishes oh it peaks at the end it peaks at the <laughs> end it's just it's just at the very very end well yeah like in any of the film that would have happened you know, after the credits or whatever. What what I do find yeah. quite interesting actually is that I think I think maybe the and the reason why it, it struggles in that last act is that it spends a fair amount of time in the first half um, introducing the the villain and his plan, and then in the second half it forgets or doesn't bother to actually make that important or like like. I think the problem that it's got is that maybe because everyone knows that some, it's going to end with something happening to Steve and him waking up in the, the present day. That is the ending that it's building towards. It's not mm. building towards he defeats the Red Skull. And so defeating the Red Skull becomes an utterly unimportant aim in yeah. that final act. And so it happens, but you kind of... Um, and I, yeah, you just you pretty much forget about the skull, and I think it's quite telling that the best scene. While I do think that, I mean, we'll come on to him. I do think Hugo Weaving is really good in this, but the best yeah, scene involving it. a villain um, is with Zola in the prison cell, <laughs> um, rather than being anything to do with Red Skull. I guess that actually that's kind of uh, kind of the point is that Steve like saves New York, but you don't really feel like he's done that, and you don't feel like he's sacrificed anything particularly to do that you're just like ah here's the bit where he gets frozen yeah and that's the inevitable result of the being captain america yeah exactly <laughs> so maybe that's why yeah. i look at the film and think like okay but then what mm. you see i see that i see that moment as an enormous sacrifice like i i feel cuz he doesn't i mean we know he's waking up but he doesn't and also and ultimately the waking up is more of a tragedy than if he hadn't. I think, uh, for, for a, on a on a personal point for that character, and I yeah, I think you're right that the Red Skull stuff never really feels. Um, certainly, when it comes to Captain America and the Red Skull, never really feels like it is that important in in relation to all of the stuff that's going on with Steve. Because I mean, you talk about the Red Skull's plan that. All of that stuff with the montage and the second half of the film is basically showing Steve Rogers winning the war against Hydra because mm. they go around and they take out his his uh, bases here, there, and everywhere. And um, 
so yeah, there is he he's basically he's basically on his like last throw of the dice when we see him right at the end. That's his 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 plan has been reduced to if I don't get these bombers off now, I'm never getting them off because Steve because Captain America and the American army have done such a good job against me. Um so it is reduced down, but I mean, James, I massively disagree with you about the other MCU films not having this lull because. Oh no no no! I no, think no. That in terms I, of, I think in, they all have lulls. I just think that Captain America's is like normally they have a lull and then there's a bit of a peak. Captain America just a high point in the middle, then all downhill, and then maybe three minutes so at the end. If we're breaking it down, I take it you're saying the moment at which it starts to sag is after they return back with Bucky even before like as soon as he runs off to get Bucky like <laughs> you think that that mission's weak. from well from that point it just becomes like infinite lives Captain America nothing no problems no hardship he's just winning everything and nothing interesting happens but that's that's from a he's you know it, it, there's no threat for him as a super soldier, but as a person, he goes through an awful lot during that hour. I mean, and that's that's what I think hooks me to this movie is because uh, uh, there's there's a whole load of superhero movies where I don't really care about the final showdown with the villain. I care about the characters, and that's what um, you know, Captain America: Civil War. The I think its strongest point is when it subverts that ending and goes. No, this was never about you coming to fight Daniel Brawl. This was about you two characters being forced to confront something um, about yourselves and about your relationship. Yeah, sure, but um, like the and about the your difference actions. between and so I think the difference between one and three is that that is an interesting and surprising twist. Whereas in one, you're well, no, but that's a bit. I again, you keep, you keep talking about like twists and and, and wanting something different. So I. I feel like the second half of this movie, again, the 15 to 20 minutes where he has the showdown with the, with the Red Skull aside, um, are about um, emotional beats for this character. And I think you get lots of really nice individual scenes in there. So, I mean, uh, to, to go through it, I, the, the Howling Commandos montage, I think, is really fun to the point that it is frustrating that we don't get to see more of that. You want to see Steve um, going off and fighting with the Howling Commandos in World War Two. You almost wish that this was a trilogy, and that's the middle movie. Um, you get the you get the complications in his relationships with Peggy. Uh, you get the really great um, pub scene where Peggy walks in in the red dress, and he's drinking with the Howling Commandos and Dugan. Um, you get the you get the the kind of the friendly banter with Howard Stark, who we haven't talked about yet, but I love Dominic <laughs> Cooper. Dominic Cooper's Howard Stark is my favourite version of Howard Stark, um, and in this in this movie particularly, I think he's great. Um, you get the loss of Bucky. You get the fantastic scene where he's trying to get drunk and he can't. Yeah, I, I just I just think from from a Steve Rogers as a character point of view, this is. Um, just a strong, earnest story from start to finish. Um, and I actually, and I think Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull is fun. So anytime he turns up, 
I quite enjoy watching that character. I don't really care about his fight with Steve, <laughs> but I like watching Hugo Weaving deliver those lines. And I love the little moments like when he's readjusting his face early in the movie and when he has that first showdown with Steve in the in the Hydro Factory in the middle where Steve punches him and you just see the mask sag and the red underneath his eye. Um, yeah, I've... All I mean, those all, little, all all those the, little um, details. All, all the times that the topic of Hugo Weaving and Red School have come up in the years since, whether it's Hugo Weaving saying, oh, I don't want to do that kind of movie, or whether it's people going, oh, maybe the Red School will turn up. And I've always been kind of disinterested because I thought, oh, well, you know, he's not that interesting as a villain in this. And if Hugo Weaving's attitude is that he doesn't want to do it, then screw him kind of thing. But actually watching this again, particularly in those early parts, I was, oh, it is a bit of a shame that he probably won't do it anymore because the he does get some fun scenery chewing. I mean, and which is that's what you want from the Red Skull. You want ludicrous over the top <laughs> yeah. scenery chewing. Like he is a literal he's a literal well. Nazi. So yeah. I mean the thing about the Red Skull is that I think they missed a massive opportunity to draw parallels between him and Steve. Because like Joe, I don't know if you're aware, but like the Skull's origin is that it was a bellhop who hit the Met, I think, <clears throat> um, and kind of got put into the Nazi super soldier program. And the idea is like he's this kind of ultimate evil representation of sort of he could literally be anyone. And you've mm. all got that like hate inside you if you, you know, if it's brought out. And so that kind of contrasts okay. interestingly with Captain America in that you know everyone sort of has that virtue and under the right circumstances you can become a hero and you know there are interesting things you can do with him that they didn't do in this and maybe that's why yeah, I would the actual that. fight just falls flat when it happens you can also again because of the fact that they haven't brought him into the present day you miss the parallel of yeah, the red yeah. skull coming into the present day you know if you bring cap into the present day you've got him trying to adjust his values equally um, you bring a character who's a proper old-school 1940s Nazi into the present day and they've got to examine how their values fit. <laughs> you could, like, again, bring him into 2016 yeah. and you've got a rather different story than if you brought him into 2016. <laughs> I mean, you could go a bit Doctor Evil with that if you're not... But it's like, you know, one of the things that they did with the school was... I mean, it took them a while to do it, but reached a point where he just realised that trying to be a straight-up Nazi supervillain was never going to get him anywhere, so he completely changes tack and decides to become a secretive evil businessman instead. Because, <laughs> like, is it in the 80s that they do that? And, like, the way to be a villain in the 80s is, is <laughs> yeah. to be a businessman. So, um, Lex Luthor. Um, you know, like, stuff like that. You you know, I, I think you could do a parallel with the Red Skull turning up in the present day and having to, not just trying to be, you know, not just being a villain in the present day, but actually tr- dealing with the problems of trying to be a villain in the present <laughs> that's day definitely when you're becomes used to being evil. a Nazi. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, this, that's I mean, actually just while we're touching on that, I've always found it quite interesting that, like, when you think back, the original story of bringing Captain America into the present day, in inverted commas, it's only like 20 years when they bring him mm-hmm. back in the Avengers comics yeah. in the 60s. Like, it would be like if you went to sleep in 1996 and then woke <laughs> up now. There wow. is like, there is actually no, so that, I mean, much Seb, more. The, when, you, when you actually say that, that sounds pretty terrifying. <laughs> I mean, it's... Imagine falling, imagine falling asleep in 2011 and waking up in 2016. <laughs> well, okay. But, you know, it is a totally different story 
doing it, it is, with him no. being asleep for 70 it years. It is sort of notable that the kind of man out of time aspect didn't get played up that much during the early stories. It's only it's kind of later no. bolt on, isn't it, where they've gone, oh, actually, it would be pretty jarring because now it would be 40 yeah. years or whatever. So In in the original stories, it wasn't so much, um, oh, I'm a man from the 40s trying to adjust to the present yeah, day. It was it like, was, um, oh, here's this hero who hasn't been around for a while and now he's back yeah, again. Yeah, it was, it was like, let's get Captain of... America into the present day as efficiently as possible. Yeah. I think the film has to be given enormous credit just for deciding to to tell this story in World War Two. You know, they could have they could have had it as a prologue and then told a a modern day story, or they could have tried to tell a story where Captain America gets created in twenty eleven rather than in World War Two. I mean, and I think I think them they they seem to as well stay quite. Uh, you know the, the the costume is full on Captain America. It doesn't seem apart from that it doesn't have actual wings sprouting out the top of his helmet. You know they, well, I mean, and even that they they managed to do in this Dark Spangled Man sequence. Oh, I, I, just, I, I I really wish that they I've said this before, but that they had, wish they had released a photo from that <laughs> as the first publicity still, just to see what the internet would have. Said. That would have been. Amazing. I mean the thing that I sort of wonder is if they hadn't known they were doing Avengers, like if they hadn't been working towards it, would this film have been the same film? And I think probably they would have had a third act in the present day where he faced the Red Skull in modern America. Because I mean, for me that, that feels like what the story is missing. And again, maybe that's me going like, this is my Captain America expectation. But like, that's an integral part of the, of the character is that he's frozen and wakes up and then has to face the Red Skull again after World War II mm. has ended without him. Like, it's sort of... If you're doing the definitive Captain America origin, that, you know, that sort of... It just... It feels like a major beat that they sort of skipped over. But given that we... Given that we do have the Avengers and then the Winter Soldier, um, those two films particularly... Uh, would you rather have that Captain America movie you're talking about, or those three I mean, movies I, dealing with Steve the way they? I deal still with would because I think it's. I think there's a better movie in ex- exploring like Captain America and the Red Skull and their dichotomy than the one. Basically, got. if Alexander Pierce had been the Red Skull, as some people thought he would be, then mm. <laughs> that, I thought that yeah. would be a nice way to combine. Yeah, the two. it would have been. <laughs> I have thought that the Red Skull is coming back in every movie featuring Captain <laughs> apart from probably the first Avengers. And I, I mean, like, I wouldn't have even been shocked if he'd have turned up in Age of Ultron somehow. But I mean, particularly Civil War and um, Winter Soldier, I thought Red Skull was coming back. And I've got to be honest with you, watching this, I'm starting to think that he could turn up in Infinity War. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, the Red Skull is such an iconic Marvel villain. Like, he's one of the greats. And it does feel like a waste to not have him back. I mean, as well, especially because his death is so obviously telegraphed as like, oh, he's actually just being sent somewhere else in the Cosmic Cube rather than killed. Yeah. Sorry, I say yeah, Cosmic Cube. It seems tesseract. like he's... Um, it does, it does when, when you see him die, yeah, the Tesseract, which is the Cosmic Cube, takes him... Essentially looks like it's kind of... Uh, like he's been phased I mean, it, up. It into sends the him through a portal, somewhere. doesn't it? Which is what the Tesseract does. Like it, you know, it's yes. what the space gem probably, Infinity Stone wise. Incident. I was. I was uh, they they use it at when, the end of Avengers to transport Loki back to Asgard. 
Like mm. that's where. Where is that one now? Is it is it still in Asgard? That one. I was trying to figure this out yeah, at the end of yeah. this with, without remembering the very. Yeah, it's in Asgard's armory. Which means that Loki's got it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the, the let's let's go through this. So that that one is in Asgard. Mm-hmm. It was taken to Asgard at the end of Avengers. Mm-hmm. Loki's scepter, which is the mind gem, is in Vision. Vision's head. The vision. The ether. Uh, from Thor, Rag- from Thor: The Dark World, was taken to the Collector. Mm-hmm. The orb from Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the power uh, that the was Nova Corps taken, have it. The, the Nova Corps have that one. Uh, is that all of them? And we oh, uh, and the then time, and the, 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 the time gem is the, the time eye. gem is is yeah. in the Eye of Agamotto. Yeah, and then so, so we have one more, which is the Soul Gem, which is coming in. Um, in Thor Ragnarok, I think we're 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 all fairly certain. You, can I can I tell you my mad theory that I was going through though when I was when I was trying to figure out a way? And this this definitely isn't true. It's just because uh, I was looking that that Marvel released that uh, that we saw a still of Josh Brolin's Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet mm-hmm. on as like a as an Infinity War teaser. And I was looking, I was thinking, okay, so obviously all the all the all the gems have their own colors. But there's that red, there's that red gem. That what if that's like something to do with the red skull being <laughs> zapped up there? And there's the purple one, and Ronan was also destroyed by a by an infinity gem. And there's a green one, and I think Healer's going to be green. In and and I was like, what if in Infinity War Thanos brings back from or brings or presents the Avengers with some of their great villains from the past? <laughs> and I mean use those words in it because uh, Malachi is also <laughs> great villains them, so. yeah. Um, yeah but they're like the the villains that the that the infinity stones had taken down because when you think about it Malachi is kind of is kind of like no um Malachi and Ronan are both like broken up into little bits as well and uh there's no there's no like clear deaths it's all it's almost more that like the they are absorbed by the by the gems and the stones and I just think I'm just thinking I would I, I would love them in some way to get Steve Rogers facing off with the Red Skull again before he departs the MCU um, I, I mean James everything you said there has sold me and in fact what you what you are describing in terms of the Red Skull sounds like a more interesting film in terms of that relationship it's just that I don't think that this movie is that interested in in that sure, relationship. Yeah, sure. it, it just it just wants to tell a story where hey look here's this evil guy who's so evil he's more evil than the Nazis. Well, I mean, in a way, kind of the problem I have with the first Avenger is that it is it's more about being a prequel to Avengers than it is its own thing. Like, especially things like the relationship between Peggy and Cap, like, it does... It does what it has to, and it does it well. The sort of death of Bucky and the relationship between those two characters, it does what it has to, but it does it badly. Like, when Bucky dies, like, does anyone really give a shit? Like, did you give a shit? Because I didn't give a shit. I don't give a shit about Bucky, but I do give a shit about how it makes Steve feel and so I, I find I, I do like find myself watching the scene where he's trying to get drunk again really tragic and so that scene so that's what I mean I think I think Chris Evans sells me on the Steve Rogers Bucky relationship um, which is something because I yeah because I don't care about Bucky so <laughs> I think I end up respecting that all the more because of it 
I like the movie. Like, I don't want to shit all over it. Like, I, you know, I like the movie. I just see all these things where they kind of, they were just doing scenes that were a bit rote because, like, this happens because it has to happen for the beat to occur. Like, they have to be split up. Bucky has to die. Steve has to, you know, throw off the... Well, see, I and I, and I see it all as, as I do most of the MCU's Phase 1 movies as... This is a movie that is concerned with building this character and getting you to invest in this character. Um, And I think, uh, really, Iron Man 2 is the only one that has the freedom to move away from that. Um, And and I think, in in a lot of ways, fails uh, because of that. Um, But uh, most of Phase 1 is, here's Tony Stark, what do you think of this guy? Here's Thor, what do you think of him? Um, And here's Captain America. And it pays enormous dividends when you do get to Avengers because that's a movie again that for all the cosmic threat is about what happens when we put these six seven people on a on a helicarrier and and make them interact with each other um I, I would like to as well I mean while I, while I don't disagree that there are elements and scenes of this that are that are quite rote um this is a film that is a, a superhero blockbuster film that contains a scene that can in no way be described as rote and is one of the most out there and fun sequences that any <laughs> Marvel or indeed any superhero film has ever done. I mean, we've alluded to You could be to talking it, about any of the scenes for me, Seb. <laughs> you could be talking about any of them, so I'm very excited to find out which one you're talking about. Um, I'm... Talking, about, I was going to make up a joke one, but I can't. I can't even think of a joke one to make up because uh, they're yeah. all so good. Correct. Um, yeah. So, Star Spangled Man. We we. I think we need to give it. It's <laughs> you own don't bit you don't get that in here. a Zack Snyder film. I'll say that much. No. <laughs> it's oh, it's so good, and again, it plays. It's it's such a clever sequence in terms of building the origin of this character, but. Also, in its own right, is just enormous, enormous good fun. I mean, I think it's it's an easy thing to overlook. Actually, is the um, the groundwork that it does for setting up Cap in the present day, because mm-hmm. if you don't have that sequence, then when Cap arrives in the present day, there is no reason for anyone to know or care who yeah. he is, other than mm-hmm. the people at Shield who know that he was a super soldier and he's been working up after all of these years. But in terms of the general public, the point is the general public read comics about Captain America in the nineteen forties mm-hmm. and watched films about yeah, him. Like, I so like, when he comes back, he's this massively iconic popular culture. I like figure, that they incorporated the kind of iconic idea and the sort of propaganda ideas behind the character in a sort of storytelling way like that Mm. like i say for me that's the point where the film peaks and then after that nothing (laughs) i mean i would agree it's that it's the best sequence in the movie it's it's in it's incredible but yeah you're right the, the the propaganda stuff then ends up buying it ends up so we've seen the creation of steve rogers the super soldier in terms of the body and we know that he's got everything inside him um and then to to first of all place that character in a in a in a in a place where he can't be what he's supposed to be where he he is being used as a propaganda tool and nothing more but we also see him getting really really good at it by the end <laughs> by the end of that sequence yeah. he's getting he's getting better and better and he's delivering his lines and he's laying out hitler with more and more gusto um but then when it comes to him going to save um Bucky and the the rest of that um that unit and and then deciding afterwards 
that yes, he is going to wear a costume because it's not just the propaganda of the outside world. He understands the power of being an icon and um, you know the the what wielding a shield that looks like that and walking around as a star-spangled man, what what that means to other people. And so a lot of the times, I think, in superhero movies, when they try and come up with ways, well, why would he actually wear that? And we, I know we, I know we can't not have the Punisher wearing that T-shirt. <laughs> so or, so we, how do we end up with a skull on his front? Or how do we get that character to wear that mask or do this thing? Whereas here, it all seems entirely organic. Um, and you do, and, and you even get that they're, they're able to do the fun little silly things like in taking the A helmet when he goes off to save Bucky um, from from one of the uh, <laughs> from one of the the Star Spangled Girls, yeah, I just think it all fits together perfectly. And then and then you're right, Seb. It does pay off in the future movies that he is an icon, and this is a Marvel Cinematic Universe where most of these characters are known. You know, uh, Tony Stark, Iron Man is a celebrity, um, and these and that's that's kind of the that's kind of the status quo for the, for the superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um that they are icons and that they are people and also helps us place the MCU as a world where people have been aware of superheroes or the potential for superheroes for for 70 years before we get to this point i mean the thing this is making me think of is how bad his costume is in avengers now Really? I mean, this is my favourite version of his, and I remember when he goes back and he steals it from the museum at the end of Winter Soldier um, and puts it back on. I remember, like, punching the air in glee. <laughs> He's got the original suit back. It's great. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, I didn't I didn't hate the one in Winter Soldier. I just think this no, one's No, Avengers, better. I said, not Winter Soldier. Oh, sorry, Avengers. Yeah. No, it's, well, I, I, I mean, I didn't hate that one either, but... The, the mask The mask is, is bad, yeah. <laughs> Silly. It looks bad. They should have stuck with the the kind of the the helmet idea. I mean, you can. What well, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, I can sort of understand why they go to such great lengths to try and not have their characters in costumes. Because the one mm. time they tried it, it looked really dumb. In like in Avengers, where they just said, "Okay, Captain America is a character. Let's put him in his Captain America costume." It looked so bad. They went, "Let's put him back in his old costume for the next couple of films." Which is more sort of utilitarian looking version. And they found kind of a happy medium in between now, haven't they? Yeah, because like, he's got the kind of straps and, you know, leather and holsters or whatever. Mm. But so it looks vaguely functional, whereas in Avengers, it's completely down the line of uh, just being a costume. Yeah. Like there's nothing functional mm. about his superhero outfit in Avengers compared to the other, all of his other appearances. This 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 costume is really strong, mm-hmm. isn't it? That it that it it does seem functional. <clears throat> it 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 feels authentic to a Captain America costume from the comics, but doesn't look silly, and also doesn't look silly in this World War Two. Yeah, setting. I mean, Seb Seb will probably agree with this, but I think it's very heavily influenced by the Ultimates version, which was designed by Brian Hitch, who has he's got his good and bad points as an artist, but I think. In terms of doing yeah. realism in design, I think he's very good. Although in, it's interesting, actually, Ultimates does a not dissimilar thing, which is that it has him in World War Two in a costume that, yeah, is very like the, the costume he wears in this film. Actually, when he shows up in the present day, he gets put in a superhero costume that is, again, quite like the one in the first Avengers film, in that it's more like a superhero costume and it's not very military-looking. 
but they very quickly move away from that as well and they almost do exactly the same thing which is that when Ultimates 2 starts he's suddenly wearing a costume where it's gone back to being (laughs) a helmet with chin straps rather than a mask I mean it's literally almost exactly the same thing as they did with Age of Ultron (laughs) (laughs) learning the same lessons yeah I'm 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 looking at a lineup of all of those costumes. I'm probably looking at the that, same that picture as you now. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, you're right, James. It does it does stand out as the worst. Um, but yeah, I think they've I think they've probably got to a point where they're kind of nicely in the middle there. I actually I remember hearing reading sorry a thing where they were saying like oh Captain America's costume like in the first Avenger he hasn't got the red and white stripes like he's got belts which look a bit like stripes and thinking like oh no that's going to look rubbish but actually when it turns up on screen you're like oh no it's good yeah Hmm. and the shield the shield is um pretty good as well I do I do like the one kind of toss away line of like it's made of vibranium in fact it's really rare that's that's literally all we've got. <laughs> oh, so you you got all your vibranium and poured it into this one shield mold, did you? <laughs> Do you know? But shall I I'll, give you? A, I would believe anything that Howard Stark tells me. I'll give me. you a comics fact, which is that Captain America's shield in um, comics continuity is part vibranium, part something else that no one has ever been able to adamantium? make. No, adamantium is the metal that they made while they were trying to recreate Captain America's shield. Ah. Yeah, adamantium is, is second right. best. So technically, this Wolverine's claws could not cut Captain America's shield. Oh, so what if they melted down Captain America's shield and poured it into someone's skeleton? <laughs> I guess the question would be how they managed to melt it down. They could maybe yeah, use okay. Antarctic Fair. vibranium to dissolve it, but I'm not sure about that. But there is now more vibranium because it's all over Wakanda. Yeah. Right. I mean, that would be Wakandan vibranium, not Antarctic vibranium, but yeah. I did. I actually wanted to talk about something uh, in relation to the shield. Um, and this isn't so much on this film. This is general MCU stuff, and I'm uh, projecting ahead here. But I think we're all assuming that um, Chris Evans will be done with Captain America after the Infinity War mm-hmm. movies. And this this movie has that shot, obviously, where Bucky picks up the shield. And I think... Joe Johnston does shoot it as kind of like a hero moment and yeah, a yeah. hey, is this is this something that you should expect to see in the future? Um, <laughs> and now, obviously, we think Bucky is crap, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I, I, I actually I do prefer him in the Winter. Uh, sorry, I do prefer him as the Winter Soldier, and I preferred him in Civil War to the Winter Soldier. So I think he's got better. Yeah, he's and been getting better. better yeah, because he's had lines and personality. Like he has that "I hate you" moment. <laughs> But having said that, the idea of a Captain America movie with Bucky the Winter Soldier as the lead is not interesting <laughs> yeah, to me. It fills the me idea with of even the idea of even team movies where Captain America's franchise ends, but we still have a Captain America who is Bucky um, hanging around isn't particularly interesting to me. I mean, it's, and so it... you've obviously you've got Falcon out there who, in the comics at the moment. Um, that uh, the Sam Wilson character is a Captain America and was the Captain America for some time. I don't know whether there's been other characters who have held the Captain America position. It's but- kind of um, a bit complicated in that... Well, it's going to come <laughs> up in something that will get you to read, but basically... so. I could, we're supposed to do this on the podcast, so yeah, let's fill in with a bit of history. Um, so 
Captain, well, Captain America comics were originally published by Timely Comics in the 1940s. Was it Timely mm. or was it Atlas then? I think it, it was, was Timely, timely yeah. then, wasn't it? Um, which was the precursor to Marvel. So it was the same company, but it was under a different name and stuff. Um, then Stanley uh, decided to bring Captain America into the Marvel Universe in the 1960s with the whole woke up from suspended animation thing. Um, mm-hmm. There were Captain America comics published in the 1950s. Now, I think, were, were they Atlas, James? Was that, was that when the company was um, Atlas, maybe? Um, anyway, been, the point yeah, is yeah. There, were, there were Captain America stories published in the 1950s, but as soon as they brought him into the, the Marvel Universe as it existed, the canon of the Marvel Universe was that Captain America wasn't around in the 1950s. Uh, now, again, James, you might be able to fill this in better than me. I believe that it was Ed Brubaker who did this. It wasn't somebody before him, or was it? Um, basically, they retconned oh, it no, in. Oh, no, it was, long, it was been... long before Brubaker this was. Oh, OK, so someone else had Because the first time I encountered it was in Brubaker. Yeah. This idea that the 50s Captain America did exist, but it wasn't Steve Rogers. It was two other guys. I mean, that's part of um, that is to explain why Captain America went from being a Nazi smasher to a, like, commie smasher. A commie like, smasher, which he was in the 50s. Psycho, yeah. yeah. Right, OK. Yeah, but so, but so in in this kind but of no, in, the, in this main yeah. continuity, we've had Steve Rogers and then we've had Bucky and Sam Wilson. Yes, that no, no current all of Marvel continuity is there was Captain America, then there was the fifties Captain America whose name I can't remember. Right. Uh, okay. Then there was there were two of them. There have been uh, other ones. There was John Walker, I think, was Captain America for a while, and later became U.S. agent. Then Bucky. And Falcon. There are people who so, who had his shield after him, mm. like Justice. And what would you what would you do though if you're Marvel? Because I mean, like I I think their plan was Bucky will eventually. Be, I think for, at this mo- in this movie, I think they were enamoured with the Winter Soldier storyline, which is why Bucky is here and why mm. Bucky. Yeah, falls. I mean, I they said they it very up, clearly. Yeah, they very clearly wanted to do Winter Soldier, and I think they em- eventually saw. Sebastian Stan as a replacement for Chris Evans. I'm not convinced they think that anymore, but I'm not convinced that they think that it will be Sam Wilson either. And I, I, I guess I, I, this is almost like a pitch segment. But what would you do? Because I, 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 I would leave the at the moment. I did just, with Iron Man. <laughs> just, you, just, just leave the character. Just don't do anything with him. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I'm there. I think I am there on that one. Um, I mean, the th- the interesting thing with with Bucky is that I mean, it did up to a point. It worked in the comics, but as much as I think they've done really good stuff with Winter Soldier in the films, it, he is quite different from how they did. Firstly, the story first, and in terms of him becoming, um, in, in terms of him going back to being Bucky as we knew him, and in terms of what Bucky's background was revealed to be, and what his personality was like even before he was the Winter Soldier, there's all kinds of stuff, and some of the stuff that he did while he was the Winter Soldier that it, people still remember, and that kind of thing is very different from what they've done in the film. So all of that stuff that Brubaker built up with Bucky meant that when they did make him Cap, you knew it wasn't going to be permanent, but there were stories to be told with how he approached being Cap and how it was different. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is not set up to... Firstly, the character is not like that. And secondly, it's not set up to tell that story because you can't drop Bucky as Cap into the Avengers in the way that you could do the stories that they did during Brubaker's run, I think. See, so that's why I, I just don't think that they can touch I, that at all. For me, I think if work. you kill off Steve Rogers, assuming that's the direction they go, 
the only person mm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe who could carry the shield is uh, Falcon. Like, I can see mm. him picking it up afterwards and saying, like, well, Steve's not here. I'm going to honour his memory by being the next Captain America. Yeah. I've got to say, I do, I do love... I have eventually stopped reading them and buying them weeks a week, but I think I plan on catching up on Unlimited at some point. I do really like Sam Wilson as Captain America and as a different kind of Captain America in a fractured America of 2016 Mm -hmm. and how that, uh, and I think they've done interesting stuff with Steve Rogers as bit, you know, with, with the world of 20 uh, of, of, well, of the, the present day, of Winter Soldier and Civil War not being as uh, as clear cut as here are the good guys and here are the bad guys that he was used to, um, but they go even further with that in the comics with Sam Wilson of you know this is he's not my Captain America and for a lot of people and the fact that he feels like he can't not take stands on some political stuff they don't uh, they don't explicitly say what those political things are. <laughs> Um, but you know the fact that he's a black man as Captain America in 2016 as well is also very important to that story. I'm just not sure that the MCU is equipped or interested to tell those kind of stories, and I'm not sure that you could. No, I yeah. Have... On that point, I agree. Like, I think I think probably they will. They you know, assuming they don't, comp- they'll retire the identity of Captain America, but maybe give the shield to Falcon is what I would think. Yeah. I, it just, it just feels like, uh, I mean, this was this, you know, they've been doing the Sam Wilson stuff for a, for a couple of years now. And, um, I can't begin to imagine how complicated it is. It would be thinking about telling those stories in a comic book in December, 2016 mm-hmm. compared to, compared to this time last year. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's very difficult to grapple with on a personal level, isn't it? Like, it's very difficult for... They've got a Nazi Captain America too, so it's fine. They predicted, they had it all planned out. No matter which way the election went. So basically what we're saying is that maybe Hugo Weaving's Red Skull could pick up the shield. <laughs> that would be the, that would be the most... <laughs> the most relevant thing in... Uh... I wonder whether they just... Uh, whether they just choose to, I mean I don't know I was thinking about whether if they'd done a better job with Sharon Carter even that that would be a that would be a possibility I, I wonder whether they've kept you know giving themselves options and that none of them have really worked out but I think I agree with you James that um, Anthony Mackie is the is probably the best option right mm-hmm. now um, if you are actually going to make someone else or have someone else do it um, because I do quite like the idea of the you know, Captain America as an icon um, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a person. And we, as apparently the current status quo is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that there isn't a Captain America right now because Cap mm. has put down the shield. He's a renegade and there isn't a Captain America yeah. right now. So maybe someone, maybe someone else will step into the role while Chris Evans is still I mean, around. the interesting thing yeah. is that in the past, Captain America's like quit the role and gone off by himself and been like for a while he was nomad and for a while he was just called the captain. So it's mm. not without precedent, but those are all situations where he specifically abandoned like American values for disillusionment with the country. That could yeah. work. Well, I just, I feel like in this case, he specifically said like, mm, I'm not Captain America, I'm Steve Rogers, like I'm an individual. So it's a sort of different path that's gotten to this position. 
Well, I, I, I think it was almost like I'm not worthy right now to, to hold this position. Do you think not worthy? Or I think maybe there's an element of, like, the government owns Captain America, but it doesn't own me. Hmm. And that is a very and that's, yeah. Rogers-y that's why he chucks the shield do. down at the end, and he says like, you know, you can have this; it's yours anyway. Because this is yeah, because like like Stark Stark makes this whole point about like how significant he sees the shield as being, and he's like, you know, you don't deserve this identity, you don't deserve this shield that that my dad made for you. And basically, Steve puts it down because he's like, all right, well, it's not the shield that makes me who I am; it's the fact that I'm Steve Rogers is what makes me who yeah. I am. Do you kind of wish there had been a scene with Bucky and Howard Stark in this movie? I think that might have bit might have added a little bit of a little bit of pathos, but I'm not sure how how it would have functioned in this film. But um, it depends if you think they were planning that at the yeah, time. Yeah, I don't think they were. Which really, I'm not yeah. sure if they were. I mean, essentially, actually, just briefly on the subject of Howard, it's one of the things that I I like about this film. And then you roll in, into Avengers. Is I mean, it's not that they don't get on as such, but you definitely get this sense that in this, Howard doesn't really think much of Steve because, like, he sees him as a kind of meathead soldier, and he's this genius guy. There's that line about, you know, I wonder if what does it says like, I wonder if Rogers figured that out or something. <laughs> um, and then you go from that mm. to in Avengers, Tony saying, "What? This is the guy my dad always used to go on about." And it's like, I like that idea that when Howard knew Steve, he didn't think much of him, but after he died, he was like, "Actually, I mean, that they, guy was they deal awesome. with that quite well." I in, see it as a bit uh, of like Peggy Carter, don't they? Because like the parallel thread of Peggy Carter is Howard Stark also has to get over Steve's death. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I think they I think they've done a really good job through Agent Carter and this movie and what's come since of. Um, really really exploring the relationships that those characters had with cap and um yeah i i i by the progression of i love that i love the stuff with howard stark here is that it with the with the fondueing and stuff i think he does kind of i think he feels threatened by steve in a way that here is this guy that is that has that that is next to him like who is a hot shot but he also admires him and uh wants to help him out and you know uh, yeah, I I I th- I think it's a it's a fun relationship that Dominic Cooper sells really well, um, and and it's 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 funny. Like I say, that fun doing that fun doing line where like he's got his arm around Steve and he's explaining to him almost like a big brother, like no no, honestly, you just you just don't understand. And they're two they they couldn't be more different, could they? With Howard and his womanizing and um, Steve and his uh, as we said. Um- can, can, can I briefly bring up um, a little production thing that I, I had to get a mention in for is um, so in the whole sequence after he's become Captain America and you've got the chase sequence through the streets of Brooklyn um, mm. bits in that were shot alternately in uh, Manchester in the Northern Quarter which I have a connection to because our, our company's office is about to move there but more specifically um, when it goes out into the docks bit um, that's in <laughs> Liverpool and that is on a road called that's just known as the dock road um and there's a bridge it's like a really distinctive blue bridge over the road that is really prominently in the background of that scene and like i have been over that bridge like hundreds and hundreds of times in my life and i still give that a little cheer every time that pops up in it because it's like yeah it's like a part of my hometown and life in really prominently in captain america which i really like so watch out for that next time you watch it it's it's not it's not Brooklyn. It's Liverpool. We haven't talked massively about that sequence, but I I I, I love that. I love um, I love that the the scene starts off with the only person 
that is alert enough to go after Richard Armitage is Peggy and that she takes out the driver and that she is hugely competent. And she's right. She probably is about to take him out, but probably at the expense of her own life. And Steve saves her and then carries on after the car himself. The the showcasing of the powers down the street. I love how he's running and then suddenly realizes that he's more powerful than he thought and, and speeds up, (laughs) but yet can't, can't traverse the corner properly and flies into the window of the store. Um, I love how we still, that he's, we see that he's still the same guy that he thinks of the kid before he thinks of, um, chasing down the Nazi. He like runs as if like, Oh God, no, I am going to have to save the kid from the water and the kid going, it's fine. I can swim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that kid I, I, don't, I don't know why he reminds me of the um, the kid at the end of Hot Fuzz <laughs> the Aaron Aronson kid oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know why there was some, there's, there's some through line there between those two kids I think it's just two ginger kids basically um, yeah I, I, I think that entire sequence is fantastic um, and yeah the fact that Steve's doing it in that that tight white t-shirt because he's wearing the same t-shirt before and after isn't he mm. i don't think you can underestimate how good it is the, the 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 visual of him coming out looking like he looks and then doing the stuff that he does um and maybe we all agree on this because it's in the first half of the movie which we all agree is very very good um, <laughs> um and then and then yeah the fact that we go straight from that into star spangled man yeah that's that, yeah. as i say that is that that chunk of the movie that just completely everything it's trying to hit it it nails like um i think a couple of things that i'd like to hit just before we bring this uh, conversation to a close um can we all talk about some of our favorite ones uh, our favorite members of the supporting cast because we kind of talked about them in passing toby but, jones i mean Seb, it, toby well, jones there we go. Tucci. and tommy lee toby jones, jones and tommy lee jones <laughs> i mean Seb, you kind of touched on a few of these earlier but like neil mcdonough as dum dum dugan is about as good as it gets. Um, the fact that in these tiny little roles that you have Natalie Dormer turning up as the as the flirty private Although who's this was like Steve. five years ago, so she really wasn't famous. Then. No, but that's <laughs> what I mean. All. That's what I mean. It's kind of it's it's almost then, serendipitous that um, yeah, and Jenna Louise Coleman, Jenna Coleman Doctor Coleman, Who, yeah. is one of the is one of the girls. She's the girl that Bucky's dating at the start. Yeah. And even for there's just one second where an autograph hunter shows up to get an autograph yeah. from Steve, and that's Laura Haddock, Laura who Haddock. later will be Star Lord's mum in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot of Brits rounding out the supporting cast because of the fact that it was shot in the UK. I, I called this on Twitter yeah. the, the fine 1980s tradition of uh, <laughs> like look at the number of blockbusters that Mac McDonald turns up in because he was an American living in <laughs> Britain in the 1980s. Um, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, I was surprised this time around. I totally hadn't noticed ever that it was Richard Armitage in that scene you talked about. Um, There's even, this is a really obscure one, um, but there's an actor, and actually I've forgotten his name, but I looked him up. Um, The the doctor who turns down Steve at the very start and gives him his 4F or whatever it is, he is Harry Enfield's considerably richer than Yao brother. (laughs) 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 He's also been in other things, but that's what I know him from. (laughs) I mean, uh, amazing. I knew I knew his face looked familiar. I can't be effusive enough about Stanley Tucci. Yeah, um, I think in, he in is that. wonderful in that role. <laughs> really is so it's sympathetic. Re- like, and he's he's a kind of actor you can just drop into something like that and know he will deliver exactly what you want. But it 
but he's i mean because I, I mean tommy lee jones is turning up and doing tommy lee jones like he's i saw someone <laughs> was listening to someone involved in the film on a free threat saying it's just like it looks like he's not trying and I'm, i was thinking i don't think he is <laughs> i mean he's just turning up and just knowing like i can do this in my sleep but is great at at it which is um, funny because he turns in one of, we'll get to it, but one of the worst performances in a comic book movie by trying too hard. <laughs> so that's the rule with Tommy Lee Jones, don't try. <laughs> Where Stanley Tucci is making very specific choices with his performance. Um, but yeah, he's he's really playful and he works as a great mentor figure. Um, he he they, they give him all the right lines to get Steve to that moment. And to, to you know, they're just like the the right words of encouragement that will turn that guy into Captain America and into the man yeah. who, you know, will do do all the things that we see him do. And then you've got Toby Jones, who is the Red Skull's Stanley Tucci. The thing I love about Toby Jones Toby is, like, Jones. the amount of times he's reacting to the Red Skull with, like, obvious fear. Like, I spent the whole film thinking, like, is he going to turn on him? Like, because he, <laughs> like, he's genuinely terrified of the Red Skull, but also he sticks with him and that that in itself is surprising well and i think so happy when he turned up in winter soldier yeah well that's what i was gonna say i think it it, (laughs) i think it makes more sense as well in context of the scenes that you see him wear out the red skull and see oh no he is a genuinely evil bastard (laughs) when it's done right it's just that schmidt is so terrifying and and again weaving does a great job of that because he does it I almost think he's scarier before we see the Red Skull, like, underneath. Like, the 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 Schmidt before he rips the face off is um, is legit terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, is, is, is it a conscious thing that they've done in the comics to create Hydra as a replacement for the Nazis? Because... I, I, I think it... I think it makes the storytelling a little bit simpler when you say, this is a villainous organisation that wants to take over the world and they hate everyone... Because that seems a little bit that that feels a little bit simpler in terms of just generic evil. Because once you actually get started with actual Nazis and the the things that they did and the specific prejudices that they held, and and you know this is again relevant now, it feels like it feels like something that a superhero movie isn't equipped to tackle. Like we can have the iconography of Steve Rogers punching Hitler in the face, but I. I do wonder if we if we were actually, you know, swept up in the idea of Nazis and concentration camps and, it, you know, uh, that that feels a bit too messy for this film that almost seems like it is intent on telling a very clean and uh, simple superhero story. I mean, is that something? Is that something that the comics did? Did they? Did they? Or was it just that Nazis don't exist anymore? So let's say that they do because Hydra. I mean, Hydra when they were first introduced, when a Nazi organization, uh, it was like in their original stories. I think in the original Shield ones, they were just sort of a a nondescript terrorist organization, and then later they had Baron Strucker and the Red Skull turn out to be running Hydra. Um, which kind of gave them these Nazi origins. Um, right, okay. I mean, obviously, they are definitely used as a stand-in for Nazis without having to use the, you know, without the baggage of being actual Nazis. Because this is doing Hydra during World War Two, and there are references to Hitler and the normal events of our world that we know mm-hmm. kind of going on. 
that Hydra is almost a splinter group within within uh, within the Nazis. And I, I do, do you get what I mean about that seeming like a little bit simpler that the movie doesn't then have to go? Why isn't Steve bursting into Auschwitz? And well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, escape? I mean, I think you know? it, this is something that I don't like about the X Men movies at times. Certainly, the most recent X Men movie is that by using actual Nazis, you have to have like you end up inevitably trivializing things like that scene in X-Men Apocalypse where they have uh, Magneto kind of go crazy and destroy out of it with his, with his powers while he's like screaming. And there are a bunch of like cartoon villains looking on like that. There's no reading of that scene, which is not disrespectful to the actual horrors of the Holocaust. And so Hmm. Captain America and the MCU by using Hydra rather than Nazis. Like, they they get to have their cake in that they can be the sort of Hitler organisation. And they're obviously evil because they're allied with the Nazis, but at the same time, like you say, you don't have to have questions about why Steve isn't going into Auschwitz. Hmm. Like, it... And just from a sort of practical perspective as well, you get to do these sort of cartoonish superhero things without swastikas all over the place, which... I was just going to say, yeah, you, you don't have to have swastikas yeah. all around the place. Which, which just from <laughs> a, you know, from the perspective of having to show your films in Germany, for example. Mm. Well, he has, he has the Nazi... He has the Nazi dress in that very first scene with David Bradley, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Which, by the way, I very much like that how they tie into the kind of where he where so this is hitler's obsession with the occult i was just gonna say yeah (laughs) the indiana jones reference there about digging for trinkets in the desert (laughs) i I like that line (laughs) well that's nice but i also i like the way that it ties into thor that we thor is obviously the movie that came out a few months before this and that was a movie that went you know what we think what you might see as magic or you know gods in this it's all actually science and this movie does the same thing with the cosmic cube that schmidt is going you think it's the occult and you think it's all nonsense but what i see is that it's actually broadening horizons and that thing where wherever they get the cube from with the 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 wooden thing in the church with the tree and stuff that Mm -hmm. david bradley is guarding that's clearly that's that's norse iconography there and that doesn't he call it he says it's a grisil doesn't he Yes, yeah. yeah, and and that and that basically, I think the idea that you're supposed to yeah. take from I mean, that is it's... that yes, it's it's all science and it's all been it's this the cosmic cube is on Earth because probably Odin put mm-hmm. it here for safety. It's, like it's worth remembering, this came out very close to the original Thor movie, where they just set all that mm. stuff up. And like personally, I was really excited when that tied into Captain America. Like I was not expecting yeah. that at all, and yet it was in there, and that. I was like, ooh, that's a nice... Like, you don't have to have seen both, but if you have, you get extra stuff from it. Yeah, and then, and, and as well, that when this came out, The Avengers was pretty much in the can. And so that that the post-credit scene we get is basically a, a, an off-cut from the scene that we get in The Avengers mm-hmm. with him, with the, the, the punch bag. And then it... Um, it like almost like fades into a trailer for the Avengers, doesn't it? Like next summer, heroes will assemble. Um, <laughs> uh, it got me excited. I almost got out the Avengers DVD. <laughs> Still might. 
not well, working today, guys. It'll be it'll be next. Actually, we also have to do a commentary yeah. on it. So well, I was um. thinking I was thinking we can probably <laughs> we can probably do those in tandem, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think we should probably tie things up then. Uh, I because we we have banged on about this movie for a long time, um, but. I would basically like to end uh, by, I think, just making my case for, because I know most people don't agree with this, but making my case for why this is, I think, in the top two or three Marvel movies and certainly the best Captain America movie as far as I'm concerned. Um, And I say that liking the others. I just think I... What you don't like, James, um, I I think really appeals to me. I like the simplicity of the story. I like how much it's grounded in this simple character in, I think, a simpler time and with simple emotions. Um, And I think it just really... I think it just is really, really successful at what it sets out to try and do. Um, I think so many of the characters are phenomenally strong in their own right. I think the movie is brilliantly anchored with the uh Peggy Steve relationship and I understand uh your kind of frustrations and the and the things that you wish the movie did uh but in terms of what the movie does do I think it does them as well as I could hope for and um I don't feel the lull that other people lull like I say I would compare this to Wally as a film that the second half's not as good as the first but it's still pretty great and um yeah. Although uh, the I, first I, half of this is not as good as the first half of Wally, I should make that clear. <laughs> but the first yeah, half of Wally yeah. is perfection. Uh, yeah, the first half of this is pretty. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I just, I just really, really do love this movie. And I said this is probably the second or the third time I've watched it this year because I watched the Captain America marathon in cinemas and. Um, yeah, I, I just adore every every second of this. And I don't expect all of our listeners to um to agree or even understand, but yeah, uh this is this is very close to in fact being my favourite um superhero movie full stop. So uh I apologise for having uh banged on so much about it. And if you guys wanna 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 say anything else after that, just to give your closing points, I promise I will just leave it at that and not not uh, argue with you further. <laughs> No, I think you've. <laughs> I think you've made. It's your fine case. that you like it. I'm not like. I can't. I'm never going to be with you on it. But I, you know, I accept that we're looking at different things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we will wrap things up for our Captain America discussion with your comic book recommendations based on the film. And I'll preface this, guys, by saying I have. St- I'm still yet to read Steve Rogers in a comic and think. I like this character or I think he's interesting <laughs> in any way. I just find myself always frustrated that he is not the movie character. Yeah, well, so... get ready to not have that happen again. Oh, no. <laughs> what are you recommending for me? I am going to recommend for you uh, the first ever Captain America appearance, which is Captain America Comics issue one from 1943. I think it came out. It might be dated 44. Right. Um, I'm only going to recommend you that one issue because it's quite long and Golden Age comics, which I don't think you've read before, are quite a slog. So enjoy <laughs> that. I find Stan Lee comics quite a slog. I can't tell you how difficult I found it getting through Strange Tales. Ooh, so. 1941, actually. It was way off. I was going to say, I thought it was yeah. earlier than that. Yeah. I mean, it's 
is written by Joe Simon and drawn by Jack Kirby, so it's not entirely and it's not going to be entirely unfamiliar to you. Uh, right. Okay. But yeah, I. But, it's safe to say this isn't going to be your favourite Captain America comic, but I think it's worth reading. <laughs> okay. I only read it myself quite recently, like in the last couple of years, and I got some stuff out of it. You've not sold it to me, Approach James. Approach it I'm not gonna as a lie. history lesson more than anything. <laughs> With actual entertainment value, and maybe that will be the most interesting thing to way to enjoy it. Oh, I love history lessons. <laughs> His first appearance of Bucky as well. Oh, great! I don't even like Bucky in the movies. James. No, well, here, here say something good kid, about so. it. Say, say something good about uh, it. It's drawn by Jack Kirby. Yeah, Jack Kirby when he was early in his career and not very good. <laughs> it's very wordy. It's lots of words. So many words. Why have you chosen this? What have I done? What have I done to you? It's short. It's quite short. (laughs) Seb. Hopefully there's more chance you'll like this. Um, Throw me a bone here, man. It's a bit of a slow start, but you do need to start at the beginning. So um, this is the most obvious thing I could possibly recommend in relation to this movie, but it's the first volume of what I think is... I want to say it's Captain America Volume 5, Issues 1 to 6. Is it Volume 5? Can you remember, James? I don't know what you're recommending. It's the... It's the very start of the Ed Brubaker run on Captain America, which ran for several yeah, years. Yeah, that case is volume um, five. S- yeah, so um, the second story arc of this uh, is The Winter Soldier, uh, which obviously you can't read now because I've got to recommend that when we do The Winter Soldier. Um, but you can read the first arc, which sets up um, some of the stuff to come in The Winter Soldier arc and has Red Skull as the villain, so it's uh, uh, kind of relevant uh, to this film as well. But basically, it's a six-issue Captain America story that's written by Ed Brubaker and it's drawn by Steve Epting who's the artist on Velvet so um, you're already very familiar with this creative team Um, as far as I'm concerned I mean I've never really got into the the 80s stuff the John Byrne or the Steve Englehart which people do praise but as far as I'm concerned the Ed Brubaker stuff is the only time I've read Captain America comics that I've enjoyed and actually they do just get better and better as they go on like you might find that you want to carry on reading and if you do they'll just from Winter Soldier onwards, they're just phenomenal. But this is a good start, and I think... I don't know that the character's the most interesting thing about them, but Ed Brubaker writes very good stories about the character, even if the character isn't the most interesting. So, um, yeah, it's the obvious place to find a good Captain America comic, is Ed Brubaker. Um, Okay, and I I just personally, I mean, uh, if anyone out there wants to see the best of Chris Evans outside of Captain America, go watch Sunshine, which I think might be the role that that got him involved in this. Um, that sold that sold them that he would be a good, would be a good Captain America, um, and uh, hopefully, hopefully it won't be too long before we get some more Joe Johnston on this podcast. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to doing that one because I haven't seen it for years. <laughs> Should point out as well, Joe Johnson, art director on Howard the Duck. <laughs> All comes together. Um, okay, but that's uh, that's it for Captain America. Um, but our final section now is the pitch. Um, and we're going to stick along the Captain America lines. I want you to pitch me another World War II set movie in the MCU. Um, so you could go back and tell stories about different characters back in World War II, maybe that we haven't seen, or you could... Um, explore characters we already know are, are back in the MCU. 
Um, I've put movie specifically because I was convinced that you would just say Agent Carter Season 3, Seb. So I thought <laughs> I, would, I would specify this as movies because I think we can all agree we all want to see Agent Carter Season 3 and it's not going to happen. Um, but Seb, I will come to you first. Pitch me a World War II set movie in the MCU. Um, I take it I can't say an Agent Carter movie. Um, no, but you what could, I, if you want. No, I, I think you know if Marvel aren't going to take the suggestion for um, that John Boyega Captain America movie that I talked about, um, we really do need to get a, a British superhero into the MCU. Um, so I'm going to dredge up Union Jack, um, who <laughs> actually does pre he predates um, Captain Britain in terms of. Um, appearances but also was a retcon character who was the original incarnation of him was a member of the invaders who was the world war ii team that included captain america and <laughs> Funny you should and say the human that. torch i knew you were gonna i knew you were gonna go with the invaders that's why i just picked one character <laughs> um, but yeah basically my, my rationale well i have a twofold rationale for picking union jack one is that it would enable us to do a world war ii set superhero spy movies because i think espionage superhero movies are quite underrepresented as a genre but are quite interesting <laughs> i mean as it's a kind genre. of hard to be um, we've already had winter kind Soldier. of hard to be a spy when you dress in a union jack <laughs> Well, he could wear a He's coat. very conspicuous. Um, <laughs> um, and I'd like to cast um, Tom Hardy as, as Union Jack, as, as a, a, a World War II-era British superhero spy. My other reason, actually, is that you could have Peggy Carter as a supporting character in it, so mm. there. And that is not just my way of making sure that you pick this one, but she would definitely be in the movie. Guys, I, I am really sold that Union Jack could be undercover in World War Two. Um, because you haven't noticed that he's in this movie. <laughs> no, he's the guy with the Union moustache, Jack. Yeah, yeah, James Montgomery oh, is he, Falsworth. Is he James is, Falsworth. <laughs> he is one of the, he is one of the Howling Commandos in this movie. Well, there you go. I'd still recast him. <laughs> to be fair, the version of Union Jack who was ever used in any way interestingly is actually Joey Chapman, um, who's the rather than being a posh guy called Brian, like Captain Britain is, um, he's a working class lad who becomes the new Union Jack. But So I'd almost rather want to take his character and put him back in, although you're going slightly into Kingsman territory there. But um, yeah, you're right. Well, there you go. Spin-off movie with, with Falsworth being Union Jack but recast as Tom Hardy. Um, James, so I, I think Seb has already revealed what your pitch yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, Seb mentioned the Avengers, <laughs> it, like, uh, the Invaders. The, in, the Invaders. Yeah, like, the thing is, <laughs> I've never found the Invaders that interesting because their, their thing... It's a good start Their to thing pitch. is essentially <laughs> the Avengers in the 1940s, <clears throat> which is fine, but you don't have all the good characters. Well, yeah, you're bound by the fact that the only characters you can use are the slightly rubbish characters that were around yeah. in the 1940s. However, I'm going to try and sell you on them. So, obviously, the team is led by Captain America, and in this case, it would be a kind of greener Captain America because you'd do it, you'd set it in that period where um, Captain America is fighting Hydra, but with the Howling Commandos generally. Um, so, it'd be a kind mm-hmm. of mid-call for Captain America, if you'll permit me to use that word. Um, uh, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm. You've got the best words. <laughs> I have the best words, yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically, it will be Steve Rogers trying to lead a team of superpowered misfits. Uh, I'd maybe pitch it in a kind of Suicide Squad vein, in that they go on one mission and it goes so horribly it all falls apart by the end. Um, but your team members would be Namor the Submariner. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Union Jack. Spitfire, mm-hmm. who is a vampire. She's a woman who is a vampire and uh, can fly and possibly shoot fire. I can't remember. <laughs> but she, uh, she turns up as a Captain Britain character and she's really cool. Right. Um, okay. Maybe put Citizen V in there to tie in with Thunderbolts because that's something I like. And the Human Torch, because the Marvel Universe lacks a version of the Human Torch they can use. So yeah. the 1940s version, who does cameo in this film? That's the, yeah, the original Human Torch who's in the tube at the World's Fair at the start, yep. right? So basically, I think I would have them attack Baron Zemo's castle. The original Baron Zemo. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd like, I'll be honest, I, when you started that, because my, my entire... Uh, knowledge of that era of marvel was from reading the marvels project yeah. which i think recommended me after we read agent carter yeah after was we the first season of agent carter maybe and um and yeah that was what there was captain america namor the human torch and angel i think who was like an old yeah, Paul Pierre, yeah, was he? yeah yeah um so i do quite like that i like the idea of bringing the human torch torch into things um because I, I remember quite enjoying him there and namor as well i think if they can work out the rights to that, that would be ideal. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the, that these be... characters aren't particularly interesting in their own right. Like, there's a reason most of them have disappeared into obscurity, but I think if you if you approach it from the standpoint of anyone in this film can die because we never see them again, there'll at least be some jeopardy there that's worth, you know, worth sticking around for. Yeah. Well, James, you sold it very poorly <laughs> early on, uh, but I do, I do very much like your idea. I think, I think what I do want Seb is a British superhero in in modern day uh, Marvel, like not not just casting another British actor, but having a proper like like a, a Captain America for, but for Britain. So whether that is Captain Britain or Union Jack or whatever, but in in modern day Marvel. I mean, Seb's plot I is essentially a subplot in my movie, so. Yeah, do you want to put Union Jack in? Or do you want to retain the rights, Seb? It's up to you. Um, if it means it's a draw, then I'll, I can I can stand to have Union Jack in the Invaders movie. Yeah, we can have a rights-sharing thing Game, game theory out of a win. <laughs> no, I think the most James important thing is that, is that I have the rights to Agent Carter as well. So if, if James wants Agent Carter in the Invaders film, he's got to put Union Jack in as well. <laughs> Do you know what? I think James gets so few wins that I'm going to just let him have this one. I'll take it. I'll take the pity. <laughs> Two in a row, if you count Sarah's. <laughs> yeah, Sarah gave you a win on the last episode, yeah, James. Excellent. Yeah, you listened to it, didn't you? Uh, it only came out like a day ago. <laughs> yeah, we are recording this podcast early. Um, yeah. Anyway, so James, you, you win the pitch this week, and that is it for this week's show. Um, there's not going to be a post credit sting at the end of this episode, guys, because um, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is the end of the year and we are sticking with the tradition that we established at the end of last year of having an award show to end up the year. Uh, we've also got um, obviously the mini-sode for this coming up as well. Um, and then at the end of the award show, we'll we'll have a sting for what the, what the first film we're doing in 2017 is. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to be looking back in our in our end of year's awards special at all of the films, just in case you didn't listen last year, all of the films and TV sh- shows that we've covered on the podcast this year and handing out awards to them. But that's it for this week's show and for this year in terms of movies. Um, so if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice. I want to thank three new Patreon backers. Um, okay. 
These go back quite a few weeks because we haven't recorded one with all three of us for a while. But um, the Patreon backers I'd like to thank are Ed, Jeff Laramore and Ian. Thanks, guys. Patreon.com slash Cinematic Universe. Yeah, and um, and we've started the, the backers who have supported us at a higher level have started receiving T-shirts. Um, that was one of the goals. We've, we've now got T-shirts, which you can find on Redbubble. Seb, they just have to search Cinematic Universe, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's redbubble.com slash people slash cinematic you, I think. Look, if you go to cinematicmultiverse.com, there are links to Patreon and Redbubble on there. Big, nice banners going, oi, give us money. So <laughs> you can have a look at those. And there's also my... my have I mentioned on the episodes that... Um, I don't think you have, We're doing no. um, weekly comics reviews um, on the blog now for as long as I can manage to keep them up. Like, just little, like, single-paragraph reviews of whatever I've read that week. Um, so if you're interested in checking out some current comics and want to know what I think of them, then... I mean, obviously, it's mostly stuff that I like or I wouldn't be buying it, but I'm going to try and, you know, try out things that I wouldn't otherwise be reading. Um, so have a look at those. And if there's anything you want to suggest that I read and, and do a mini-review of, then, you know, let us know on Twitter or in the comments. But, um, yeah, check that out. We're trying, trying to get the blog going a bit more with some, some new stuff. So um, take a look at cinematicmultiverse.com. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, which means I don't have to plug that bit. So, the only thing I have left to say is that you can find, you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail dot com, which some people have actually started doing. So, thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.